1998, we climbed Mount Rainier, um, which is a technical mountain, really tough. I didn't make it to the top that year because um, I have epilepsy. And um, back then it was definitely a stronger you know, case of it. So I'd had a few seizures, not on the mountain, but I felt like I was gonna have one. So I worked really, really hard, Ron. And then in 1999, I went back to Mount Rainier and I made it to the top. And to me, that is one of my greatest physical athletic accomplishments because I, I had to go back, I had to work on my balance. I had to work on so many technical aspects to make it to the top and I did. And um, once you do that and you have that feeling of failure, then you never wanna have that again. I've never quit a marathon midway, even you know in the toughest of times. And I never ever wanna have that feeling of, I have to work for an entire year just to return to that challenge, that mountain. Hello, podcast world. Welcome to episode 64 of Run Chats with Ron Runs NYC. Kelly Brown Willis is a paragon of positivity and perseverance personified. Growing up in a family of nine, no doubt forged her grit, toughness, hustle, and drive. And as a mom of four with a big appetite for travel, running adventures, and community, these qualities serve her well. Kelly traveled the world for 18 months on the cheap with her husband Rich before having children. Soaking in the culture and experiences in Syria, Guatemala, and learned she could do hard things like climbing Mount Kilimanjaro and Mount Rainier, which took two tries because of the technical difficulty and extra challenges from having epilepsy. Kelly spent a full year working on her strength and agility and came back a year later and got it done. She struggled in her first year of law school, but pushed through with encouragement from her dad and mentor to achieve her career dream of becoming Assistant District Attorney of Atlanta. Can you say perseverance? We discuss influence of growing up in a big family, her dad mentor, traveling the world, climbing adventures, law school, becoming an ADA, finding running in the marathon, running community, Olympian steeple athlete and coach Doug Brown, Abbott World Marathon majors, the world age group champs, chasing another sub three, women running the world, and community service. Kelly loves all things Abbott World Marathon majors and is one of 45 to earn two six-star medals, one of 85 to run an Abbott Slam, which is running all six in the same calendar year, which she did in 2018, and also qualified and ran in the first Abbott World Marathon Wanda Age Group World Championships this past year in London. I had the distinct honor of sharing the stage with Kelly on a panel at London discussing our World Marathon Majors adventures, and her positive energy really shined through and connected with the crowd. What a journey from 415 marathoner to her current 257 PR. Kelly's dreaming of taking another big swing at Sub 3 in Berlin, and I'll be there running and rooting for her to get it done. Mad respect for this badass mom of four running at this level and putting out so much positive energy into the running community. 
I hope you all enjoy this convo as much as we did. So let's dive on in and take a listen. Good afternoon, Kelly Brown Willis. Welcome to Run Chats with Ron Runs NYC. How are you? I'm great, Ron. Thank you for having me. Hey, I'm so excited you're here with me, my friend. I wish we could have done this in London when we were alive, hanging out on the stage over at the London Marathon, doing our World Marathon Age Group Championship promo tour for our good friends, Lorna and Tim, and everybody with uh, the World Marathon Majors Association, which was super fun, by the way. Um, but this is better because now you can be chilling in London and I could be back in NYC and we could just hang and break it all down, right? So what's going on over there? How are things in London? Things are great. Uh, it's the holiday season and the stores are all decked out. There are lights everywhere. People are happy. It's wonderful. Festive. It's the best, right? I mean, if you can't get in a good mood in the holiday season when the lights and everything are going, man, I, I pity you, man, because it can take me from like my darkest moment in 15 seconds, man, just to see some pretty lights outside or a little snow or some holiday music, man. Any and all the above get you right, get you right into the state that you need to be in and feeling good, right? Oh, yeah. We have holiday music pumping in our apartment 24-7 right now. Love it. Let's crank it up right now. Let's do a podcast with holiday music loud, <laughs> and no one will hear what we're talking about. It'll just be a first-time experiment. You know, exactly. I mean, I'm all, for, I'm all for trying new things. So tell me, do you guys have a favorite or a couple of favorite holiday movies that are go-to around this, this time of the year where you guys all sit down and watch them together? For sure. I'd have to say... Elf is one of our favorites. Love it. So funny. Love it. Love it. Um, we always watch um, uh, Polar Express on Christmas Eve. Love it. And that's a Willis family tradition. I absolutely love um, It's a Wonderful Life. But because it's in black and white, my kids just can't seem to get into it. But um, yeah, we, we watch holiday movies starting in November. Love it. Start them early. Those are three amazing choices. Christmas Vacation. How about you? What are your favorites? Christmas Vacation is on the top of my list, man. I, oh, have, that is a good one. I have to watch that, that for great. all of the mayhem that goes on and all of the just absolute bedlam that's occurring moment by moment. You just literally have no idea what's going on. And it's just, it's chaos. <laughs> it's chaos. It reminds me of my family From growing up. the very up. beginning yeah. when they cut down the Christmas tree, oh, yeah. you know? Oh, yeah. <laughs> or driving underneath the 18-wheeler and, you know, like the guys <laughs> trying to pass them. Or, I mean, there's, there's, we could do a podcast on that episode. And then also a strange one that doesn't necessarily fit into most people. Christmas movies, but Groundhog Day is always played around the holiday time. And, you know, I'm just a huge fan of that movie. And during the pandemic, um, a lot of people were doing new things. They started baking, they started book clubs, movie clubs, whatever, just to try to pass the time. And I was in charge of movies and a lot of these lists. And I just made sure that everyone had to watch Groundhog Day because if we weren't living Groundhog Day in the pandemic, man, I don't know what we were living, but it was basically Groundhog Day. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah. Definitely. Well, the good news is we got to see each other when we rocked the World Age Group Championships in London. 
Then we got to see each other and hang in NYC. So we got to we got to roll two races together, spend some time. But for the Run Chats audience that don't know how much of a badass you are and what an amazing runner you are and all the great things that you're doing, tell everybody a little about life as a kid, where you grew up, a little about the family. Okay. Um, well, I grew up in West Bloomfield, Michigan, outside of Detroit, Michigan. And I have um, six brothers and sisters. And so it was always craziness around the Brown House. Um, great parents. They, you know, they they were old school. So we all had to work hard and we all had to pitch in around the house. And um, it was a great, great childhood. I absolutely love it. So that big family, um, people talk about having a big family and a lot of times because they have a lot of cousins and a lot of relatives, but you are literally a big family. Uh, so space is precious, man. And when you grow up in that environment, you learn how to fight and be feisty and defend your space and your clothes and your things. Okay. And like you said, your parents were tough. You learn how to carry your own weight. You learn how to contribute and you better be doing stuff for the household because my mom raised us. There's only three of us, but we were delivering newspapers, shoveling snow, cutting lawns. We were doing money-making activities from the time we were probably eight, nine, 10 years old. And we, you know, we basically were allowed to keep all of our money so that we would have spending money. We might've given a few dollars to my mom here or there for certain things or used it for gifts for the most part. But man, it taught us a lot. And I am certain that in that kind of experience, you have no choice, man, unless your family are like billionaires, which I'm pretty sure I would know that piece of the story. <laughs> like you're, you're basically forced to roll up your sleeves as a kid. I mean, was that what it was like for you? Were you involved in, were your siblings involved as well? Definitely. Definitely. We all, you know, basically if I wanted any spending money, if I wanted any clothes outside of Christmas. Um, and maybe my one or two back to school outfits, it had to, I had to work and, and, um, and buy everything myself, but I loved it. I was, uh, I think we talked about this before. I was the, I was the neighborhood babysitter. Sometimes I had three or four families at once. It was great. Kind of scary, though. I was pretty young to be taking care of babies. <laughs> I, uh, it is so true. Um, and from I'm I'm much older than you, but still, we're close enough that things were similar in our upbringings and our times. And you know, you're growing up in Michigan. I'm growing up in New Jersey, New York City, sub suburban areas. We were left to our own devices from the time we were eight, nine, ten years old, and. Not just my family, like everyone's family. I mean, basically, my older brother was a year and a half older than me, and he was basically in charge of where we went and what we did. And it wasn't even a question. I never once thought, like, is this okay? Or neither did any of my friends. We went to the park all day until it was dark. If we came home before dark, somebody thought that was screwed up. Something was wrong. Like, is somebody hurt? Is somebody injured? You know, we didn't have phones. We didn't have any way to text anybody and be like, hey, mom, come pick me up, man. We had to figure out how to get around, how to do our own stuff. And you're babysitting multiple families. So you're dealing with responsibility. You're making some money. And, you know, you're learning life lessons, man. That's totally cool. Mm -hmm. Definitely. Loved it. Loved it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, I know I personally loved it too. And being able to make some money. And I mean, the simple, like little things, even just like going to uh, bring shopping carts back in the supermarket, my dad'd be like, Hey, if you go do that, you know, the store manager will give you some money, you know, carry bags for ladies out to their, to their cars. 
they'll give you a couple of dollars here and there, but just like simple little things. And, you know, it was just uh, about taking some initiative. And let me tell you something, when you're a kid and you get like five bucks for shoveling somebody's uh, driveway out and then you go do three or four more driveways and your back is broken and your arms and shoulders are sore, but all of a sudden you have like $20, you're like, wow, this is pretty awesome, right? Don't you feel sorry for people who don't have that opportunity? You know, I mean, my kids really don't have that opportunity. I don't, I baby them too much. I mean, they're amazing, amazing kids, but I love the way we grew up. It was great. I'm so glad you brought that up because I was going to ask you um, because you have four, right? You're a mom of four um, and I have only one. So it's a lot different for me um, managing one versus managing four. Um, I wouldn't say babied, but absolutely whatever he needed. And I don't mean like given, like you have to earn things. There was a lot of earning involved. There's a lot of goal setting. If you do this, you'll get that. If we, if you, you know, can, can do this academically or this type of goal or achievement, you know, we're going to go on a trip or we're going to do that. So I was always a big believer in setting goals, you know, for myself. I knew, hey, this is going to be important to me. And I was also coaching all of his travel baseball teams and things. So I was the person in the dugout. I was the one writing out the lineup. I was the one deciding who was going to pitch or where people are going to bat in the order. But I do think that if kids today had to do more of those kinds of things, it doesn't make any difference how much they're getting paid. I mean, now we have Venmo and PayPal and 600 ways we could actually pay them and send them money. But yeah, if, if when you're younger, you're taking some initiative and making some of your own money, I think you have far deeper understanding and appreciation for what the dollar means. And maybe think about wanting to help others a little bit because it's like, wow, I actually did something I feel good about myself. Like maybe I should do more of this, you know, and, and it's just creates momentum, right? It's a positive experience. Definitely. Definitely. So let's talk about your sports growing up. Um, cause I know you were involved with a bunch of different things as a kid, like most of us. Um, what did you spend most of your time with as a kid in sports and what were you most interested in? What did you enjoy the most? Uh, good question. Well, um, I started off really my, my biggest sport as a small kid was swimming and swimming was great. I loved it socially because I would love getting up at five 30 in the morning and getting to the pool by six, it would be chilly outside. And I loved it. I had so much fun. And I had a sister who was my age and she was a much better swimmer than I was, but she didn't like getting up early. She didn't like the social part as much as I did. So, um, yeah, I, I just loved it, but I also loved the, the work aspect of it. I loved the feeling I had when I was just exhausted and, and still had to go on. And, and when you get out of the pool, when practice was over, um, you know, just that feeling you have, I loved the swim meets. I loved the camaraderie. I loved having the jello packets and sticking your finger in the jello packet and your finger would be all red. And, you know, you just had this sugar because it was pre gels. And, um, so swimming was great. I was not a excellent swimmer. I was very subpar, but I, I did love it. What was your favorite stroke? My favorite stroke was backstroke. Ah, okay. Now it's freestyle because now I always hit my head or my arms when I'm doing backstroke. But, um, but at the time that was my specialty. 
nice. When I would try to do backstroke as a kid, I was always going into somebody else's lane. <laughs> I was going off course. I sucked at it. <laughs> I wasn't very good at swimming. And I was the opposite of you. Um, I would get frozen. So we've had the team hypothermia discussions from Boston and from Tokyo, because you know my experiences right. in, in 2018 Boston and 2019 Tokyo. Um, right. I think it did goes all experience yes, together. Yes, we did. Mm -hmm. But yeah. I think my team hypothermia stuff goes back. If I'm really going to be honest, going back to like our first swimming lessons as kids, where it was an outdoor pool, it wasn't heated. And I just, I was blue. My blue is this hat right here. You guys all can't see this. We could see each other on Zoom, but we're rocking the world <laughs> marathon majors blue color and Woo! the world age group championship blue. Shout out for our peeps. Um, yeah, like I would turn blue. So um, I think that was probably why I didn't have as positive an experience with swimming. I mean, I ended up coming around to it later than you did and doing some triathlon. But, you know, I think all the other stuff is great. You know, the team experience, you know, being the early riser. I'm like your sister. I am not the early riser. But, you know, it just goes to show in the same family how different we can be with stuff like that. Like, do not be waking me up. Do not be trying to get me up early to do stuff like you know, maybe if we're playing golf at Augusta or something, I'm in. But other than that, I'm like, no, yeah, not yeah. going to happen. So swimming, <laughs> your first cool kind of team sport that you're into, even though it's not your thing, it's not something you're like crushing it at, but you're enjoying all the other elements of it, but also soccer too, right? Yes. Yes. But I'd have to say what defined me was cheerleading and a lot of people will say that cheerleading is not a sport, but it really, truly is. And we had to put many, many hours in, not just preparing for games, but also um, go attending camp in the summer, competing in uh, various competitions. And, um, and it just kind of also the school spirit that it instilled in me was very, very important and also my love for basketball and American football. I loved watching the games and cheering for them and learned so much from um, cheering for them. So even though it sounds kind of silly, oh, I was a cheerleader and that was my sport, it really was. Hey, I'm not going to debate it. You know what? Anything <laughs> that you got to put a lot of time in on. And then look, it's physical. It's not like there's any physicality to it. Um, even if you're not doing those super cool routines that the college uh, football teams do are crazy, man. These girls are getting thrown like 20 miles in the air doing like triple backflips and and twists and turns, man. They look like if you're on the U.S. diving team, you know, like doing cliff diving or 50 meter, you know, pool diving. So uh, it's impressive. And hey, look, it's a big part of our growing up. And if that is something that, you know, had a big Im impact on you, great. That's awesome. And it is it is team. And it inspires the people in the in the stands. It inspires the athletes that are playing. And it's just great team spirit. So, um, and yeah, so good. So good for you. Um, but also soccer too, though, right? You were involved with playing some soccer, right? Yes. And so it's, it's good that you mention it because um, sometimes I do look back at my days of cheerleading and I think, gosh, what if I would have started running earlier? Because I had mentioned to you that as a soccer player, my coach told me that I should run track because he said, you know, you have some speed. And I don't know. At the time, I thought maybe he just wanted me off the soccer team because um, I was so bad. But um, maybe there was something to that. And so, gosh, I wonder what would have happened if I if I got into running earlier. I love it. 
the paths that may or may not have been taken. Sliding doors, yeah. right? I think there's yeah. a TV show now. I'm going to have to figure it out. Maybe I'll add it to the show notes when it's over. But it's a show where apparently, like there are three options in life. Like if you had married your husband or wife, or if you'd gone to medical school versus law school, it kind of plays out in the television show. I haven't seen it. I don't even know if it's still on the air, but it was a new show. And, and the premise really, it caught my attention. I was like, this is kind of cool because we all know, we certainly don't know when we're eight or 15 or 23, or as these time ages are occurring and these choices are occurring to us, we have absolutely no idea how it's going to impact our overall life. But we do know sometimes like, hey, this is a pretty big decision. Maybe I should actually think about this one a little bit. And uh, I also think it's funny that your soccer coach, like, yeah, he's telling you you have speed, but that's like code for, yeah, maybe you really don't want to play on our team or it's okay. But that, I get, I, cry, I get, a, I get such a kick out of like, it though. You're fast, Kelly. You're not really that good at kicking the ball into the goal. Yeah. You're fast. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, we like you. We like you. We're giving you the positive vibes, but like, we're okay. If you go on the track team, you know, it's like, it's all good, but it's classic, but Hey, you you know what? I think it's one of those fun things. Every one of us had a choice with a sport, an activity, a relationship somewhere. We're never going to know. In my opinion, for what it's worth, I think that because you didn't have all those miles as a kid and you weren't grinding so hard in like high school and college, you know, your body was so much more mature and so much more developed when you actually did get into the sport and started to run and, you know, get involved with it. And it really took some time as it did with me and many of the people who come on the show. It's very, I would say a much smaller percentage of the runners that I'm talking to really started at a really, really young age. And the, most of them tend to be the, the handfuls of elites that I have on because I have liked to have more of the runners that are like in your profile that are like super awesome world age group ranked, but living a very full life, doing many, many other things with their life. And like, how does running fit into all of that chaos? How does running make you a better human? How does it make you a better mom? How does it make you a better, you know, partner to your husband? Just better in the community, all that other stuff. That's more interesting to me than just having elite men and women on all the time. Not that they wouldn't be awesome guests, but that's not really the fit for my show. So in my opinion, it worked out the way it was supposed to. And you know, your soccer coach, man, he was trying to help, you know, he was trying to give you that nice. gentle nudge. Exactly. So we can't, we can't, we can't get down on him. Um, no way. No yeah. way. Yeah. Kevin, so, his name was Kevin. All right. Coach Kevin. Coach Kevin, <laughs> shout out to you. You try to do the right thing. And now you got to see what a badass your girl Kelly is on the running side. All right. You were right. All right. And yeah. we didn't take your advice properly, but this is, this is why she's on run chats today, man. You know, this is like, <laughs> we're going to, we're going to go through it all, man. And, uh, you know, we appreciate that you were trying to guide her in the right direction. So we got that going for you. So as a kid, tell me, I know like who my favorites were. Did you have a couple of favorite athletes? Was it like one, like who did you focus on? Like who had your attention and why? Okay. Well, as far as world known athletes, I was um, a big fan of Nadia Comaneci. Part, you know, I was a gymnast as a kid as well. Um, and she's just, she was amazing. She was beautiful. She was flawless. She was a perfect 10. Um, I really liked Dorothy Hamill because again, she was graceful, so talented. And the Olympics just, they dramatized everything. It was beautiful. Um, I also had a, a, a favorite athlete that was closer to home 
who ended up later, many decades later, playing a big part in my life. And that was my cousin, who was also my godfather. And his name is Doug Brown. And he was in the 1972-1976 Olympics as a steeplechase runner. Should have been in the 80s, um, 80 Olympics, made the team, but we boycotted. Russia. Mm-hmm. And then in 96, he uh, was the coach for the team um, in Atlanta for um, the, you know, athletics. So I always looked up to him because, I mean, I was related to him. And, and, and even though I didn't know him very well, because he was always off in, in Olympics and things like that and getting married, um, I still, I just, I really looked up to him and, and I'm so happy that eventually our, our paths crossed and we, we spent a lot of time together with the running thing. Super cool. So two Olympics should have been three because one was boycotted and then actually ends up being a coach in the Olympics as well. That is serious credentials. And you don't know this, but my son actually got to run a couple of steeple meets. It was my favorite because I love to shoot. Um, You know how much I'm into photography and taking pictures, even when we're just running and doing run selfies and all that fun stuff. But I used to shoot with the long lens at his uh, baseball games when I wasn't coaching, when he got to high school and uh, travel teams that were beyond his high school days. And then steeple was just such a trip to shoot for, you know, coming over those water jumps and just trying to get the frame by frame moments of, you know, land, you know, landing on the top of the hurdle then coming off into the water. And then just the chaos that ensued. If kids fell, did they get back up? How much water splashed around? I mean, it's such an exciting, exciting race to watch. So that is like total boss mode material, family Olympian, godfather, and he ends up becoming your coach down the road. But we'll we'll table table that piece for now. And Dorothy Hamill, yeah, I had a mad crush on Dorothy Hamill. Yep. Love the haircut, right. love the skating outfits, the, you know, mm-hmm. megawatt smile, you know, winning the gold medals didn't hurt. And definitely remember Nadia Komnich. I mean, I remember her getting the tens and then literally just she was like unbelievable. Like she was amazing. And that had never happened in the Olympics before. And I think it started to happen more, but she was like the standard setter for sure. So super cool. So moving on, um, like high school, college days, like people who had a profound impact or let's say a mentor, who would you say is like the most important person that shaped you in those years or even in life overall as a mentor, teacher, et cetera? Well, definitely my father. Um, my father just, you know, he, I mean, he had seven kids and he had a very important job. But yet he still made time to always know what was going on in my life and always guide me and just whip me into shape because, you know, I was, I was trouble. I definitely, I, I was a good kid in many ways, but I also was, was, you know, had my, my fun side, but he was always there for me and always there to, to help direct me. and. Um, and just being a role model himself. It's so impressive um, for anybody as a parent to have a family that size, to have a big job with the responsibilities of a job like that entails to be even keeping track of one or two of you and having a handle on what you're doing would be one thing. That would be impressive. But to like keep an eye out for you and kind of keep you in line and realize that you needed that. 
um, which you probably didn't even know you needed at that point because you just figured you could just do whatever you wanted and do it your way. <laughs> and who doesn't think that when you're a kid? I mean, what kid needs a parent to tell them what to do? Like, I know everything already, mom and dad. Like, what are you here for anyway? Oh, food? Sure. You got any cash? We'll take right. some money. What else do we have? Oh, how about a house and rooms to live in? Or, you know, you need some technology <laughs> stuff, you know, phone. Yeah, we're good for all that. But, you know, I got the advice part down. I've got that all covered. Really no no, no worries at all. Um, what do you think? Um, did he have any, like, was it just his work ethic and, you know, his drive and, you know, just, you know, his role in the family that stood out to you the most that had the most impact? Or was it like one big, like life lesson that he taught you along the way that really stuck with you? Well, um, his saying, one funny thing he used to say was, we Browns, we're not so smart. So we have to work really hard. And, you know, he would tell my little sister that he was the one who put the, the hubcaps on the cars, whereas really he was the director of union union relations for the world, um, traveling to Japan, Mexico, Germany, England, um, you know, just having having his hand on the pulse of so much, but being modest about it and knowing that, you know what, we're all we just have to work hard and we can all pretend to be who we want to be. But in the end, it's, it's what you, what you put in to life. And um, yeah, he just, he really helped me out. Law school was tough for me and he got through law school in two years instead of three years. Wow. And he really helped me just stick with that as well. And um, I owe a lot to him. Awesome. And you, I love the fact that he's like downplaying, you know, like, cause people always want to make themselves look bigger than they are in real life, their job title, what they do. And, you know, he's telling, you know, your youngest sibling, you know, he's putting hubcaps on a car because look, you know, at the end of the day, we have to roll up our sleeves. We have to work. And whether you own the business and it's yours and you own a hundred percent of it, or you own zero percentage of it and you just have a job there, you, you have pride, you have responsibility to do your best, whatever that is. So that work ethic certainly comes through and no doubt had an impact on you in how you live and how you work and how you're raising your kids, how you train, how you pursue goals, like all of it. So very, very cool to learn that about him for sure. Yeah. You just, you can never, ever give up. True story. I mean, and, and if we do, um, because there are times when we just feel defeated and we just, you know, we're going to crack. We all have our moments when we do crack. Um, and if we turn to drugs or drinking or other things that we might feel temporarily better for or over, at some point we realize that we're going to lift ourselves back up again and we're going to get back up. And, you know, that's really what my show is all about, like stay in the fight. It's my own mantra, but it certainly lives well outside of my running life. It's my life period. I mean, you know, my mom is 89 and still with me. She's had lymphoma 30 years, multiple cancers. Like her motto is far simpler. Put one foot in front of the other and get down the road because it's Irish, man. It's just like my mom, this little Irish lady that, you know, she just cannot be stopped. You know, she just has that will and determination. And, you know, you had you had seven in your household. We had three, but my dad wasn't around. And like, I would just say, like, how did we even 
make it? Like, how did we even get to school? Like, how did we do anything? So in a family that's twice as big, it's just more respect because you just, it's a divide and conquer. Things have to get done and responsibilities get pushed back. And as we both talked about before, I think the more of that that happens in life, if more of our kids were taking on those things and more responsibilities, including us pushing more of that stuff back, you know, no question. And I'm sure we both could have done a better job of just saying, um, okay, you want that? Great. Okay, so you need to work and here's how much money you're going to need to get it. So here, let's let's put a goal down and write it down and let's do it that way. Versus me saying, you know, if you get straight A's, you know, you could have a new MacBook or something. But um it's not, we're not here to revisit our parenting studies. We're here to talk about the whole overall picture, but it is fun to just talk about it because of the it approaches is. And, we and take. And they hear us, yeah. you know, because I know that we both think that our children are amazing, but every parent is going to say that they walk to school in the snow uphill both ways and had it way harder. So we're just, that's what we're doing. Yeah. Yeah. You're right. I mean, it, it is really, it's not all that different. It's just, um, it's our terminology is a little different and our approach and style is different. And look, you face it, you know, growing up when world wars were going on and, you know, people didn't even know if the world was going to continue and, um, you know, were we going to have a free world to live in and other things? Um, it's really, in a way, it's kind of like where we're at now how much, you know, the pandemic has just shaken people up by the roots. And not only does almost everyone know somebody who may have died or come close to dying from it, we certainly know um, it's just tended to divide people further across the globe. And, you know, one thing that this show is good for, and I feel is really good for, is to share positive energy, man. And running is something that connects us all at a very basic level. Uh, from the time we're out of the crib, you know, and we can figure out how to stay upright long enough to keep moving, to go across the floor and not crash into some object. Um, that's what we want to do. We want to move, man. We want to run. And you want to chase our brother or sister around. And we want to run race against some kid on a schoolyard or some other thing. And it's just the fun. Best. It's fun. I mean, yeah. what, what could be more fun than that? Um, I and that starts way. You make me want to go for a run right now, Ron. See, next time let's do this show while running. Yeah. Well, listen. <laughs> you you may not know that part of the story, but that was the original genesis of the show. Is that the things that we talk about? It's like what happens in Vegas stays in Vegas. When you go to the church and you do a oh, confession, yeah. it's sanct. It's safe. It's like anything can be discussed. So the same thing, when you go on a run, complete strangers will literally tell you their deepest and darkest secrets and know it's safe. It's not going to end up on Facebook or Instagram or someone else's you know, space where it's violated. It's just, we let our guards down, we relax, we breathe, we talk, we vent. And by the time it's all over, we're all happier. We all feel better about ourselves because we were able to take some things that were causing us to lose a little sleep, maybe worry a little bit too much. And then we realize just by talking about something we think we can't talk about with anybody, but we can talk about with another runner. And suddenly we breathe and they breathe. And everybody that's there goes away feeling better. And mm -hmm. that's the way it is. Like when we yeah. ran in great London, we ran, we ran in London, which was, by the way, was the first time we actually met in person. It was you, mm -hmm. 
Me and Hiromi met. And I was out running and you all were in a different place and we we're trying to figure out where we're going to meet up. And, you know, we're running and then we meet and we all hug and we have a nice fun moment. And then we start our run. And of course, we're running around the park and then we run into like God knows how many of your friends, which that's life, man. That There's nothing yeah. better than that. Um, my buddies. Yeah. yeah. I have the best running buddies here. They're so amazing. Yeah. Well, let's see. Who am I going to remember? Mickey. Um, yeah. who else? I know I have a real Italian name in there somewhere. Um, <laughs> Francesca. Francesca. <laughs> and mm-hmm. who else? I'm can't, who am I blanking Rebecca on? Rebecca was there. Rebecca. She does ultras. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And so does Mickey, right? I think all of them do, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 And then oh, yeah. I think that yeah. was it, right? Or was there more? Was it just... I think that was all that was yeah. there that day. Yeah, yes. for that day. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So we have to tell people, when did you get involved with running? Like, where was your start? Because clearly it wasn't in like middle school, grade school. You were doing other sports. Like, when did you actually like first lace them up, get involved and say, hey, I like this thing. I'm going to do more of it. Good question, Ram. When I was in my second summer of law school, um, my then boyfriend, who is now my husband, Rich, decided that he would run the Peachtree Road Race. Now, the Peachtree Road Race is the largest 10-kilometer race in the world. And even back then, 30 years ago, it was also huge. And it was impossible to get a number. He happened to get one. So he started training for it. And I would just kind of wait for him while he would run his mile or two miles because he was just starting out running. And after a week or two, I said, I can do this. So we trained and we ran it and it was so much fun. And while we were training for it, we talked to some other friends and they were talking about the New York Marathon and what an experience that was. So we as soon as we finished the Peachtree Road Race, we said our next goal is the New York Marathon. And so we signed up and made the lottery. And, you know, about a year and a half later, we were running the New York Marathon. That is the absolute best. I hope you all can hear the juice in Kelly's voice because that's for the people at home that have never run in their whole lives. Or a friend said, listen to Run Chats. It's a fun show. They have good guests on. Like, I don't care if you've ever run in your whole life. I don't care if you ran when you were 15 years old and haven't run since, you could still get back to running. It's just waiting for you. You just need to get a good pair of shoes, get some clothing that'll keep you warm, dry, and or cool, depending on the season, and start small with the simplest and easiest of goals. And you don't have to go from the Peachtree Road Race right to the New York City Marathon in one step. And I'm sure there were some steps in between, but I just, <laughs> I just love it because... You know, look, that's how that's part of your courtship, man. Your husband and your dating and your running. It's like you're it's an activity, it's a shared activity, it's something you're doing together that makes you feel physically really good. And here's something you don't even know. So your first marathon was the 1993 New York City Marathon. Guess who else's first marathon it was? That would be me. We ran <gasps> in the same race. That was our first marathon. Yes. Okay. Unless I have my year wrong, that is the year that Fred LeBeau had brain cancer and ran with Greta Weitz. Unless that was in 1992, but I'm pretty positive it was 1993 because I'm pretty sure that 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 year is- like, yeah. Yeah. I'm pretty positive it was was 1993. And um, Mm -hmm. some of my old running stuff, because literally I started running and then 
went to triathlon for a little while and came back to running. So, you know, we're not here to tell my story, but it's amazing. Well, you were doing those triathlons. I was having baby after baby after baby. (laughs) Yes, which that's a triathlon unto itself. I'm doing my own triathlon. Yeah, that's like a way harder than any triathlon, man. Let's just have babies like one, two, three, four. But I mean, think about it. What are the odds? We are first marathon both of ours was at the same place new york city that's um, so cool so yeah i love it super cool so you go from the peach tree which is an iconic i think it's the largest 10k road race in the world at one point boulder might have gotten larger but i'm pretty sure peach tree is the largest in the world as far as a 10k race so there was your break in and then 93 new york city and you guys do that together i mean was it was it awesome was it amazing i mean it was so awesome. Yeah. But you know, I mean, I think about it. So it's my first marathon. I'm running in, you know, a cotton t-shirt. Of course. And I think I even had cotton sweatpants on or something. No, no running watch. Probably wore a regular baseball cap and had so much fun. It was all about just finishing it. And it was, it was great. I'll never forget. We ran, I ran it with Rich, but also a few other friends. And so, you know, we start, we go over the Verrazano Bridge. Everybody gets to go to the bathroom. Oh, there were no chips, by the way. So we crossed the starting line about a half an hour after the gun went off. Everybody got to go to the bathroom on because uh, I was running with a bunch of guys on the bridge. I didn't get to. So they 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 formed a human wall for me later on so that I could. <laughs> amazing, amazing memories. Um Yeah. I mean, racing was remarkably different back then. And as you just so beautifully said, the clothes we wore, we didn't have running clothes. I mean, for Christ's sakes, like shorts were shorts. They weren't made out of like moisture wicking material or they were like gym shorts you wore in gym class, man. They kind of like burned your skin off. Like, I mean, and like you said, cotton shirts, hats, we had, we literally had no idea what was going on. And, um, yeah, it was wild. It was wild. But the energy of that race was still as epic as it is today. Obviously, the, there are more fans. It's become more of a spectated event. Um, it's obviously more of a televised event, although it was televised back then as well. But I mean, so much of it has changed, but so much of it hasn't. It's still a feeling that anytime you do it, and it doesn't matter if you finish in 12 hours or in three hours and 45 minutes or in five hours and 13 minutes, it doesn't, it's it's irrelevant. Because you'll never have an experience in your life where you have absolutely no idea if you can actually do it or not, except in that first one, all right? Because 26 miles is just so ridiculously far. It's impossible to comprehend. There's no way anybody in their wildest dreams can imagine running that far. It's like, get your car out and drive 26 miles. It takes a while. Like You can't sit there and think, oh, I can do this. No, you have no idea if you're going to be able to do it. I don't care what your training is like. I don't care about anything. When you get out there, you literally have no idea. Now, at what point did you have any like dark moments or like scary moments like, oh my God, I'm broken, I'm never going to finish, or this happened to me, or any unusual experiences you remember from the first one, and then how did you manage to get through it? I would have to say the first one, I never had that feeling just because I was with my husband, Rich, I was with friends, we were going to do it. So I think those feelings have come in when I've been running by myself, when I've given it my all. Um, And I don't know if you want to talk about Boston 2018 now or later, but 
That would, I'd say, have to be one of the darker moments of, of my, you know, marathon experiences. But we got through it. Yeah. Look, there's no order. I mean, no matter how you might want to try to plan a conversation like this, there's always, you're always going to go back and you're going to go forth and you're going to come forwards and backwards. So of course we can talk about 2018. I mean, look, the cool thing is on New York for you, um, just to sum it up a bit, you know, you had others, you had your husband, obviously that's a super close connection, but having the other people there too, it's a collective effort. It's a team effort. It might've been different if they're all saying, oh God, I'm dead. I can't do it. I'm not going to go. That might've really worn on you and maybe even made you doubt whether you were going to do it. The last person in the world you want to be is the one in that group saying, I can't go any further. I can't, I can't go. Like knowing your personality, man, that is not going to be you, man. They're going to have to drag you off that course before you're going to give up. So, um, I think that was it. All of us together. We just, we had so much fun. It was a big party. It was so much fun. And you know what? I looked at my time. It really wasn't that bad. It was 4.30-ish, more or less. And um, you think about it. In fact, where's my little... I'm going to look. I have a little heart, a little apple thing. Go ahead. A New York apple that tells me my time. My husband got this for me from Tiffany's. Oh, that's and so, so cool. And so it says New York City Marathon, 1993. Okay. My time was four hours and 47 minutes. Okay. Considering that I didn't even get over the starting line until a half an hour after the gun went off. See? 4.15 for my first marathon when we were having fun and I was wearing sweatpants. Not bad. Golf yeah. clap. Golf clap. Uh-huh. I'm impressed. I'm impressed. <laughs> yeah. I am. Um, it was just a, it was very different experience for me um, because I had been doing triathlon and I was very fit. And the CEO of my company did his banking with Manufacturers Hanover, who used to be the title sponsor for the race. Then they merged with Chase. And, you know, Chase is now one of many. Now it's ING. It was ING. And now it's, you know, moved on to um, TCS. Yeah. But I I remember them all just because of the logos on the shirt and the years. And and, but ING had it for a long time. Um, Manufacturers Hanover had it for a long time. And, um, you know, it's moved and the race, obviously. The marketing and the branding and whatnot may change a little bit, but still it's the New York City Marathon. But yeah, I did a 338 or something like that. And but had to walk. Yeah, but I was, you know, like I said, I was coming in as a like a fit triathlete. I had never even come close. I think 14 miles was the furthest I'd ever run. Um, but I biked a lot, I ran a lot, I swam a lot, and I was fit. And, um, you know, like I had friends who just told me I could run three hours and I was like, what? I'm like, I, but I didn't like, they might as well have said six hours. It didn't make any difference to me. Like I was like three hours, six hours. Like if you would have told me six hours, I would have been like, okay, Kelly, six hours it is. Like, that's what they told me. So yeah, but I, um, I barely could get up off the toilet bowl on first Avenue. Um, I was like <sighs> stuck. My legs were like locked and I was like, had to pry myself off of the toilet bowl, like quads cramping, calves cramping. I was just like, okay. So like our experiences could not have been more different because I was rolling. I was doing really well. I felt like I could do this. And that's 16 or 17 miles in, not 16, more like 17, maybe 17 and a half, but we're talking eight and a half, nine miles to go when you can't even get up off a toilet bowl and you're cramping like you know, that air of invincibility goes away rapidly to the point where it's like, I, I don't think I can go anymore. I'm like, okay, I'll just keep 
I'll walk a little bit and run a little bit and see. And then eventually I just kind of got back into some rhythm. But I remember finishing and all those people that you see when you see people walking downstairs backwards and they can't walk. Yeah, I was that person. That was me. It was like, hi, me, put the poster child of me, idiot, clueless, no idea what you're doing, didn't run more than 14 miles, thought you had some idea what you're doing, didn't know what you were doing totally clueless. So I always laugh when people say, don't make the rookie first time mistakes. And I just feel like that's part of life, man. You're going to make them anyway. So you might, if you're going to make them, you might as well blow up in flames and like, remember it. So it scars you. So you never do it again. You know, but those are the marathons that we should be most proud of the ones that we dug ourselves out of a hole for sure. Oh, heck yeah. Because how many people, given that same set of circumstances, would have just been like, oh, I'm out of here. Like, you know, I'm taking a subway, give me a taxi cab, out of here. This was a stupid idea. I'm not doing this. Or the one and dones, you know, like, I'm always like, come on, man, we can get a few more people that said they're one and done. We got to get those people back up off the couch. So you go from Peachtree, New York City. This is 1993 now. Now, where do we go from here? Like where, where does your running life journey take you next? Is now where you start having babies and starting raising your family or what, where, what's happening next? So basically for the next, after that, I ran New York again in 95 and then in 97, um, had great experiences, probably didn't improve that much over that time. Same kind of training, just having fun. Um, 99, we, um, well, 1998, we climbed Mount Rainier, um, which is a technical mountain, really tough. I didn't make it to the top that year because, um, I have epilepsy and, um, back then it was definitely, a, you know, I had it a stronger form, you know, case of it. So I'd had a few seizures. Um, so not on the mountain, but I felt like I was going to have one. So I worked really, really hard, Ron. And then in 1999, I went back to Mount Rainier and I made it to the top. And to me, that is one of my greatest physical um, athletic accomplishments because I, I had to go back. I had to work on my balance. I had to work on so many technical aspects to make it to the top. And I did. And um, that was that was really exciting. And then we quit our jobs and we traveled around the world for 18 months, which was amazing. And then we had kids. I love it. What a story. Well, yeah, like when we fail at something that's really, really hard to accomplish, to come back, um, whether it's two or three more times or eight more times or one more time, it's always going to have a much more profound influence on us as we go forward in life. And you're still very young at that point. You know, you don't have all your kids. You're not a mom of four. You're not managing a household and doing all the things you do now. This is like formative years of your own life. And man, I didn't even know that you had a situation with epilepsy. Didn't know. Um, don't know. You know, I know for all of these things, any kind of treatments we take, drugs we take, they all have huge side effects and they could affect our energy. You know, how much we sleep and other things. And some people just don't want to take these drugs or medications for whatever their condition might be because of those things. Like me, if somebody told me I had to take this for that and I was going to lose my energy for life that you and I have, I'd be like, yeah, that's not going to happen. I can't do it. Um, sorry, I'm going to have to figure out some other way. So that's like total boss move. Um, 
to have to kind of work on your agility, your strength, your balance and all this stuff to be able to make it and to come back and like check that off your list. Total boss move. It was great. It was fun. Well, I could see the smile on your face that it was a big like life accomplishment. And those things stay with us. They don't go away. They don't disappear. They stay with us. They stay on the inside, whether whether you have a Tiffany's medal from your husband, which is super cool, or not. Um, you'll always remember your first New York City marathon. You're always going to remember making it through in the perfect storm, the monsoon, and holding up when so many other people didn't. And, you know, failing at that once... Like that's where the real drive in life comes from. Like anything I've ever failed at, I'm always like, all right, here we go. Let's go. Are we ready? We're trying it tomorrow. Oh, can I try it again now? <laughs> like, oh no, you're too tired. You can't do it right now. Or you're you have blisters or your hands are bleeding. No, I'll I'll, I'll try again. Can I go? Can I go again now? So and that's the thing too is once you do that and you have that feeling of of you know just um, failure then you never want to have that again. I've never quit a marathon midway, even, you know, in the toughest of times. And when we were on our trip around the world, we climbed Mount Kilimanjaro. Now Mount Kilimanjaro is a lot less technical than Rainier. Um, but still we had some tough conditions because we had a big snowstorm um, towards the top and um, altitude is, is a much bigger factor on, on Kili. But, and we got to this point where our Sherpa guide said, well, you know what? We can get to this point and it's not quite the summit, but some people will call this the summit. It's the rim. And I said, absolutely not, because it's a lot harder for me to get back to Africa than it is for me to get back to Washington state. We are going to the top. I want the sign that says <laughs> summit. <laughs> yeah. But I think that's it. It's like, I never, ever want to have that feeling of, I have to work for an entire year just to return to that challenge, that mountain. I love that, the dialogue and the path there, because look, failure, it's just like the wrong word anyway, but leaving the word alone and just leaving it just stay in place for what it is. It's what it represents to people. They just feel like it's a loss. Hang your head, give up, you quit. No, it's like the most formative things in our life. Okay. What the hell do you think stay in the fight is all about? Like fucking what the fuck else do you have? That That's it? That's all you have is 35 mile an hour winds? Okay. Oh, okay. We're I... running through puddles now up to up to the top of my calf <laughs> and I'm cramping all over. Okay. My gels are falling out and I can't see anymore. Okay. What else you got? Okay. Like, right. it's like, that's what we're here for, man. That's what we're here for. And you know, like we could stop here. Yeah. Like I already knew where that story was going. I don't need to know. Like, yeah, dude, we, we didn't pay your ass to come up here to get close <laughs> to the top. Like we're going to the fucking top. I don't care if people are dying. We're we're going up there. That's what's happening. Like we would not exactly. be good people to take Everest. We'd be the ones that didn't make it back. Cause we'd just be like making all the wrong decisions and be like, Nope. Oh, totally. Sorry, Sherpa yeah. dude. That's not how the story ends. I'm going all the way up. And so is she, we have to try. Um, but when we don't make it, Okay. And when we miss out on a goal and if we can't finish an ultra or something else, look, look at people, look at the Barclays race. No one finishes. Nobody finishes. It's been years since anyone finishes. These are some of the greatest ultra runners in the world. They're great at topography and reading the lens because this is not some race where you know where you're going. You don't even, you 
disorientation city. It's raining, the wind's blowing, and you have to find like books and maps in the forest. Like you don't even That's like insane, I couldn't. I don't even think I could make it through one loop if I had like a professional crew and they're trying to get multiple loops. Like, and I just know like where my strengths and weaknesses lie in life. I couldn't navigation at night, running through the night. I just that wouldn't be something that I would do well in. It doesn't mean that I couldn't get better. It doesn't mean that I wouldn't try. If I had a team and you and me and other people were part of it and we were going to do some run all the way through the night, bring it on. As long as I know I got badass people with me who are going to help me if that's my weak spot, because I know that I'm not going to let them down. I just need them around to either run those miles with me when it's pitch black. So I'm not out in the middle of the desert. Like, or, get me in the right direction. Yeah, yeah. Make sure I'm not going in circles. <laughs> Ron's running in circles. Like he's out in the middle of the wilderness. No one's seen him for like three hours. Oops. Yeah. He's not going to make it back. But um, it's just great. But like when we don't hit a goal, we don't hit some huge milestone we're shooting for. I think that like, that's a chance to learn, man. And like, it makes you want it more. Okay. It's not like, oh, well, I overshot my goal. No, no, man, you don't give up. It's like, okay, where did I fall down, man? That's why I'm such a Goggins fan, man. And he calls them postmortems. I use them in business life. Like, okay, why did we win? Why did we lose? Okay. The only way you really can do it properly is to literally look at every person in that, on that team, in that group and say, hey, you know, Kelly, you're the best speaker in the group. You know, you're the best communicator in the group, but we needed you to be more involved. You needed to be more in the front, less in the back. Okay. And, you know, you had the most influence, Ron, but you weren't with the top people that you needed to be influencing. Like, unless you're willing to make the hard call decisions and really assess like where it went wrong, you won't learn for the next time. And it's no different with you. When you didn't make it up Mount Rainier and you're having to deal with ep epilepsy, you had to realize these were some things that were really going to affect your chance to make it. So you could either play it safe and say, I don't really want to do that. Or if I'm going to do it, how in God's name am I going to be able to deal with these limitations I have and turn them into, sure, there's still going to, there's going to be risk. It might shut me down a second time, but if I work in these areas, I can actually get to the top. Right. Exactly. And that's what you did. Yeah. It was great. It was so much fun. I highly recommend it. Yeah. And traveling around the world for 18 months, that's pretty awesome too. Mm -hmm. We backpacked, we rode the chicken buses, we stayed in hostels. Um, you know, we went all over the place. We lived with family sometimes and studied Spanish in Guatemala. We went to Mount Everest Base Camp, Galapagos Islands. Um, Vietnam was amazing and um, African safaris. It was went through the Middle East, um, Syria, got to see Syria when it was beautiful before it's been through everything it has been. The people in Syria are so beautiful. Such amazing, friendly, warm, happy people. Um, I'm really glad that we that we did that. That's so cool. Well, now I'm gonna have to start coaching you on writing a book because you know, once we finish up and keep rolling through our podcast, it's going to be obvious there's plenty of material here. So, you know, no agent fees for me. I just want to make sure all my friends are maximizing. <laughs> Look who's talking, Ron. Full, Look who's talking. badass experiences. Hey, man, your story's way better than mine. We didn't even get into the all the good stuff yet. So, you know, look <laughs> at this, traveling around, experiencing these cultures. 
um, one of my favorite running family friends, the uh, the Sotel family in Guatemala. They've been inviting me to go down there for years, and they have the running pictures by the volcano really? all the time, and it's just spectacular. Oh. It's spectacular, and I see these shots where they run. And um, we talked about like actually creating a running camp and just um, figuring out a way because it's just like he is, they have a very nice nice home, but they have a pretty large family. His kids have kids and you know, the family's getting larger. So their grandparents now, beautiful family, um, so close with them. But I think it would be the most fun thing to set up like a running camp down there. So I'll have to keep you posted on that since you have some experience doing Guatemala. We'll have to figure out, maybe there's some venue that we could rent out where people could stay, you know, cheaper than a hotel. And then just like they would organize all the runs and food and we could do some seminars on running and coaching and life or something. And it would just be fun. It looks like such a beautiful place. It's so gorgeous. Definitely. How much time did you spend there? Um, We spent, we went there twice during our trip. We spent probably a total of, I'd say probably five or six weeks in total. Wow. Mm -hmm. And so 18 months. So we finish up that and you have these amazing experiences around the globe. Where do, where do we go from there? Where's our, where's the next stop on the life journey? Well, prior to leaving, I was working with the uh, Gwinnett County district attorney's office. So I had reached my, you know, accomplished my, my dream of being an assistant district attorney, being in the courtroom, um, you know, putting the bad guys away, but also I had such a great boss in Gwinnett County because it doesn't just mean putting the bad guys away. It's just, it was coming to the truth, whatever that was. If the person who was being accused of the crime obviously didn't do it, then it meant making sure that that person was released and finding, finding out the real truth behind whatever the the case was. So anyway, um, he was great. And he said, when you get back from your trip, you can, you have a job here. So I got back from my trip and I was pregnant. So I did not go back to work. Um, I decided to stay at home and at least give a, a few years to motherhood. But then um, we moved to Belgium shortly thereafter. And I ended up living in Belgium for 16 years and having four children and having a great life there. Amazing. Thank you so much for jumping back to your legal um, journey. It may not have been a long one, but it's an important part of your story. Um, Because A, your dad was your mentor, your role model, um, and someone you looked up to. And for obvious reasons, man, he deserves a tremendous amount of admiration. Um, and I'm sure your mom does as well in, in such a big my household. Mom is great. I should mention my yeah. mom. She's amazing. She had to raise all of us Thank while you. he was working. And not only did she do a great job raising us, but she's a great golfer and Ooh. tennis player. And I used to love it because she used to tell the story about how some people would say, don't you work? And she would say, I work very hard at my golf game. (laughs) Good for her. Oh, I love that. (laughs) She was raising us as well. She was never sitting around doing nothing. Well, like your dad said, he put hubcaps on the car. Yeah. I'm just raising seven kids. Yeah. And working on my golf game. We got this, we got this covered, but, um, yeah, obviously both parents play a huge role in all of our lives, but, you know, going back to your dad, you know, you had some struggles in law school and literally for like the first time ever. I mean, academically, you were always really strong, always did really, really well. And we're used to like nailing your tests and just, you know, being able to uphold that end of it and fulfill that end of it. 
And, you know, in law school, you had some trouble and it was difficult times. And I know your dad had a big impact on that. So tell me a little bit about that because it's an important part of your story. Oh, just, you know, basically that, I mean, I would never, I would, I would never say that I was at the top of my class in high school or university, but I was always able to reach a very good balance and, and have whether it was, um, I don't know, leadership positions, sports, um, along with doing well enough in school to get into a great university and then get into a great law school, um, have confidence and, and enjoy learning, which was the most important thing. But then I got into law school and it's a different way of learning. The Socratic method is very different. And going into a test when you only have one test at the end of your semester, that's it. And not really understanding how you write a, a, a essay, you know, a law school essay as your, as your exam. Um, it's, it was really a eye opening experience and it was great. It, you need to have these real big challenges and be put in your place and kind of have to step back and learn how to do it properly. And I'm really glad I did because I did want to be a lawyer. I did want to be in the courtroom. I didn't want to give up. And my dad would not let me give up. And, and I did enjoy the learning part of it. I, I loved law school. That's awesome. But he, he definitely was a key part there in making sure that you didn't give up because look at that age, we're still kids. We're not, we're not fleshed out adults, man. We're kids. I mean, we're not much different than your kids. Mine's 24 now. So he's, you know, finished school in the working world, hasn't started grad school, would have started grad school already if it wasn't for COVID and stuff, because he's not going to do it virtual. And I'm glad he's not. And neither is his girlfriend, but you know, we're, way more impetuous at, at those ages and way more willing to just say, you know, maybe this isn't for me. And even though it didn't end up becoming what you did every day of your life and you ended up having four kids, you still fulfilled a huge objective, okay? You made it through. You learned how to write those papers. You learned how to figure out how to get the grades you needed. You needed how to stay in the fight, keep pushing, and you succeeded. And, you know, it was a big goal of yours, man. And you wanted to be in the courtroom and you wanted to be an ADA. And so you accomplished a big goal that, again, you didn't hit it the first time. If you really want to look at it the same way as Mount Rainier, it's really not all that different. I mean, it's not like it was coming easily to you. It's not like, hey, I know how to write this way. I know how to study in the Socratic method. I know how to tell my professors what they want to hear or write an argument this way and get what I need. No, you had to figure it out. You had some serious, like, gaps to close and you had to figure that out. And when you maybe were vulnerable or thinking about quitting, or maybe it wasn't going to be for you, your dad was there and he helped you like, you know, reassure you and like keep you on course. And then you know what? You pulled it out, man. The same way when you went back to Rainier the second time and you became the ADA and, uh, that's awesome, man. I mean, it's totally awesome. And, you know, I just need to know from courtroom shows and the fun shows that we all love to watch. Um, my son went to Regis High School in the city. And a fun fact that almost no one knows, it's like 
the number one ranked Catholic high school academically in like the U.S. And it's an all scholarship school. It's a Jesuit school. So it's just, they don't care what kind of sports you play. They couldn't care less about how much money your family has. If you're not like incredibly smart academically and a kid who's going to give and be a man for others, which is the Jesuit way, like you have no chance of getting in that school, like zero. Um, but a fun fact about the show, because it leads me to like courtroom stuff, is more law and order scenes have been filmed at Regis High School than like any other place they what? shot. Oh, yeah. No. Yeah. So any classroom scenes, what? any school scenes where there's anything going on in the school was almost 100% certainly filmed in my son's high school over the years for law and order. So that's amazing. Yeah. So I know like law. As you know, I love Law and Order. Yeah. I love that show. It is what made me want to be a prosecutor. Yes. Mm -hmm. Great show. That's why I had to segue that in there. And now also, fun fact is... My mom's a huge NYPD Blue fan, and I used to fight with her for years. It's not that great a show other than the family dinners. It really doesn't do it for me. Well, sure enough, during COVID, as life turns, we all become much more like our moms and dads as we get older. I suddenly started watching NYPD Blue till the cows come home. And then, you know, it's like oh. ADA Reagan, man. She's a total boss. I mean, she's a badass. Oh. So, yeah. So I was like, I don't know, NYPD Blue, you know, but Law <laughs> & Order is so much more courtroom stuff. I mean, of course, investigative as well, which is a huge part of, you know, being an attorney and, you know, you know, uh, you know, pressing charges, how the process is going to work, et cetera. So mm -hmm. yeah, good stuff. Super cool. So, but you did accomplish the goal. You did make it happen. You did get that position that you were striving for. And now we segue into like family, you know, family life and move, move to Belgium. So we're in Belgium now. And you're four kids, so are they a couple of years apart? Are they fairly close together in age? Like, what's what's the age order, et cetera? They're two years apart, yeah. Okay. So currently, Sunny's 19, Poppy's 17, Maya is 15, and Dolly is 13. Great. So two apart, love it. Um, how do they get along? Are they close? You know, are they tight? Like, how does it work? What's the, what's the family dynamic like? Oh, well, like any family, any any set of siblings, they are the best of friends and the worst of enemies just depends on the day. But in the end, I mean, they're they look out for each other. We like to refer to it as Team Willis. You know, <laughs> I mean, it. you gotta it, it all boils down to the family, no matter what. In the end, you know, you will always have your family. Truth. Mom, she took my sweater again. Tell him to <laughs> tell her to stay out of my room or keep him out of my damn drawer. Exactly. Like, oh yeah, yeah. We lived all of yeah. those things. I mean, my older brother was like twice our size, so I wasn't going to be taking any of his clothes. But yeah, I mean, you know. But just like you say, in the moments when it really matters, they'll do anything for each other. That's what. That's they what really they they are there for each other. That's yeah. that's what family is. So um, so four two years apart. Who's the oldest right now? Sunny. Sunny. How old? Sunny's 19. She's a junior at Notre Dame. 19. Oh, that's right. I remember the Notre Dame connection somewhere. Yeah. From a post you did somewhere because Ronnie, Notre Dame was on his list. I'm trying to remember. I'm pretty sure he got accepted there. 
Um, he got waitlisted at Stanford or somewhere. I mean, he ended up going to Middlebury, which is really where he wanted to go anyway, because they really had the best. My husband loves Middlebury. Yeah. He's trying to get one of my kids to go to Middlebury. That's awesome. All right. We're yes. going to, we're going to work on the mid connection thing, but, um, his real goal for there was really language. Like Chinese was like the professor there, like was next level, like there were very few, even Princeton, like these other places, they didn't have the language program that was that deep and that immersive. And it, their language institute, which the kids go to over the summer for French, Spanish, Chinese, whatever language discipline you want to study, they're in homes, they're in houses for the whole summer. They have to speak the language, whatever it is, German, French, you know, Mandarin. Um, they're not allowed to communicate in any other way. They have tables, they have lunchrooms. And that's pretty much the same way it goes, whether it's a major or a minor in school. And their music department was good to a little, you know, better than good, but not exceptional. And, you know, he's, he was a music Chinese major. So, um, yeah, it's an amazing campus, beautiful school, incredibly, you know, just picturesque to look at, but also amazing academically. So I couldn't endorse it higher. Um, but yeah, Notre Dame, um, we never got to visit there. It's funny because I wanted to go visit there because of my mom with the Irish stuff, but it just never happened. I mean, at some point, and I know you have to know this because you have four, at some point you just can only go see so many places. You just don't have any energy anymore. You're just like, or you don't have the time, right? It's like, wait a minute, when are we going to, when are we going to go here? So you have to draw the line. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Uh, but it is fun. It's fun going to look at all those universities. You want to go back yourself. Oh my God. Are you kidding me? That's the same thing I was telling Ronnie. I was like, oh, I'll go here. Like, what are you kidding me? <laughs> right. And we ran everywhere. So you would love that part. Ever. We're at Stanford. Yes, we we're at Stanford. We're running on the golf course and these kids are yeah. playing golf. And I'm just like, whatever, hit your shot. I don't care. Like, you're not going to hit me. Like, I know what's going on. I turn around and look, man, let's go. Ronnie's like, are you sure dad, man? Let's roll. Let's roll. Let's just rip it up this hill. And, you know, it ended up finding out, which we didn't know at the time, we, they do run, you know, their cross country courses, like around through the golf course at parts. So we were like running on the course where they run anyway, but all the schools, I mean, they're, they're amazing. Like you said, I mean, my God, the colleges have come so far and the buildings are incredible and the facilities and the athletics and the dorms and everything. Incredible. Just, just amazing, amazing stuff. Well, two funny things about running while visiting schools. Um, Rich happened to go with Sonny to Notre Dame and St. Andrews, which were two schools that she got into when, after she had already been admitted and she was going back and looking at them. So he looked at the heart rate to see which one that her heart rate was faster. Um, another thing though, was when they were at St. Andrews, they ran along the beach, Ooh. the beach, the chariots of fire, yeah. you know, dun, 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 dun. and I didn't get to do that. I wasn't there. I was cheated out of that experience. I was home taking care of the kids. Oh my God. The other one. What but a um, yeah, running, running while looking at universities, running while on any vacation anywhere is amazing, isn't it? Facts. Um, yeah. and that's something that was imparted to him. His mom was a terrific runner. I met his mom through running and, um, we divorced ages ago. We're super close and always raised him together. Always did all the family activities together, including all the way through his college. I mean, which people will be like, you guys are divorced. I'm like, yeah, we've been divorced for like ages. And like, oh wow. Like you would never know. I'm like, well, that's nice to hear. That's really nice to hear because, you know, you want it to be about your kid or kids, um, and a lot of times that just doesn't work out for people. You know, they just, they can't get past whatever it is. And then the kids kind of get dragged into the situation. So for me, I was lucky. 
um, really, really lucky that those were like the fun moments. And I just take, I try to make everything an adventure, you know, like, Hey man, we're going to go, let's go to Boulder for before your senior season across country. Let's go run at altitude for like, I don't know, eight or nine days and just like running the trails and get you ready for your last season across country. It's like, all right, that sounds cool. So like, you know, right. do something like that, you know? Oh. Yeah. And, um, yeah, you can't, you can't beat it. And it's, but it's divide and conquer though. Right. I mean, she, she's always done stuff with Ronnie that I'm not necessarily going to do. And just same thing with you have four, you guys have to divide and conquer. So hubs got to do, got to do the Scotland situation. I'm coming over there to play some golf, man. So I'm gonna have to bring your mom over. We'll get your mom involved and, you know, play some Scotland, <laughs> play some right. Ireland, you know, hit a bunch of hit Sounds a bunch of good. countries yeah. you know because running like you said when we visit when we travel running is how we see the best parts of any place we're going to go we learn about the architecture we learn about where the restaurants are and when we're running along go that looks like a fun place because once we see something visually you just know you know when something has a good feeling you're like that looks like a fun place. Or if you run by it at night or in the morning and you see it, you're like, oh, wow, that, Ooh, that early looks cool. morning, yeah. St. Mark's Square, yeah. you, you know, Venice with nobody there. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So you get, you get the early morning crew and I get the afternoon night crew. So you, right. you can there be you your, your quarterback of the early morning <laughs> runs. And, uh, well, as you know, I will do the morning shakeouts when it comes to our major marathon. Cause I will exactly. grudgingly Don't try to pretend yeah. like you're not up early. I'll, we know. I'll pry myself out of bed for a run, <laughs> but only if it's going to be with some of my favorite people. So, um, Aww. all right. So we, now we're, we've kind of come through your child rearing years, mommy years, raising the family. When do we like really get into running, man? Because you've accomplished so much. I mean, you've done some epic things, which we're going to get into, but I'm just like wondering when does it actually come back into your life? Like full circle? Yeah. Well, it's, it's a, it's a good question. I'd have to say, um, after my fourth child was born, we decided to kind of start running marathons again. And we did one marathon in Antwerp where I actually went kind of fast. And we realized, wow, but maybe I can actually run fast. So um, so I started actually trying to get into Boston. And I um, I did. That's the great thing about being old. I was 40, so the times were a little easier to get into. And then once I had a qualifying time for Boston, we were looking at the race magazines and we looked at the Brussels marathon and Rich said, you could maybe win. And so I was like, well, I have to shave about a half an hour off my time, but maybe. And that is when I hooked up with my cousin and really started getting some real training, um, real coaching. And it's also the same time that I hooked up with my running club Sportiva Mente in Brussels. And your good friend, um, Francesco Prasuti, is one of the members. Um, and just, it was the perfect storm. Everything together um, just led to me shaving off times on my marathon until I, you know, my, my first real exciting accomplishment was 
the Brussels marathon and coming in second place, being on the podium of a marathon in the capital of Europe. What a epic transition and segue that was. So Doug is now back in the picture. We're now being coached by your godfather, multiple time Olympian and Olympics coach, um, steeple runner. People get the wrong idea about steeple runners. Steeple runners could be great marathoners. They could be great half marathoners, 10K runners. They have such a combination of strength and raw speed. They need both to be able to succeed. You cannot do one without the other. If you don't have crazy endurance, but also crazy speed, you cannot succeed in the steeple. Um, and you better be tough, man, because let me tell you something, man, you take a fall over any of those hurdles and you take a gainer in the water, jump or just slip anywhere along the way, man, it is, it is not going to be pretty. Totally. Yeah. His shoe came off in the Olympics. What? Somebody gave him a flat tire and his shoe came off. But One, he made the Johnny Carson show because of it. So that was great. That's amazing. So going over the water jump with one shoe off, one shoe on, I can't, I can't imagine it. I mean, it beats the feet up particularly because I have had a couple of runners on that have run a um, steeple, the Achilles. They tend to get Achilles surgeries or problems with their Achilles because it's the landing. It's so hard. It's so firm. And now, whether, whether, however they strike, you know, midfoot, even toes, however, it just is so much pounding on the feet of the landings, you know, and how fast they're running. It's crazy. Mad respect. Um, so he starts writing your training. You get in with a team, which is always the secret success formula, people. If you haven't hooked up with a team yet, you better start listening, man. Because, and if you don't have a team that appeals to you for whatever reason, and your, your spider sense is saying, this isn't for me. This group isn't for me. Hey, I'm not going to tell you you're wrong because there's a reason why you're feeling that vibe. And maybe they're not as open to all types of runners, or maybe they're not as open to beginner runners or people of a certain type or body type or build, whatever you're feeling. If it doesn't feel right, walk away, man. There's going to be another group that is going to feel right. And I'll give you the third option. If you don't feel a group that feels right, start your own damn group. Because you know what? You can find a way to start a group in this day and age, whether it's through your company, whether you guys run at lunch, and a lot of people are not really going to the office as much these days. Set something up on the weekends. Find other moms that you know want to get out of the house when their babies are young and they don't want to run with the stroller and maybe their husband's going to watch the kids at home. But there's always a way if you'll put a little effort and energy behind it, group running drives big performance gains. Because look, face it, man, we're all competitive in life. You start showing up for a long run or a speed workout or a track workout, and there's other people around you and somebody goes zooming by you. If you've got some sort of competitive fiber in you, you're going to be like, well, who is this chick who keeps blowing by me? Or who's this dude? What does he want? Like, why is he on my shoulder? I'm going to drop this guy. He's annoying me. Like it's over. Let's go. Um, so that's what happens. So you get in with the group, you know, you have a real coach, like serious coach with real chops starts to work with you and you're on the podium. So what did you run in this, in this race in Belgium that you got onto the podium and you came in second? Um, a 313. 313. So that's your first real big breakthrough race, right? Yes. Which at the time, what was your PR before that race? Three, I think it was like 329. So that's a huge chunk, huge chunk. So 313. Now, I know you've run way faster, okay? So I have the that knowledge. But like at this point, 
do you remember back then? Did you think like 313, like, oh my God, I ran 313. I'm second on the podium. You know, holy crap. I can't run any faster. Or were you like, wow, man, I wonder if I could run faster. Or was it a combination of like Doug, who has Olympic experience, who's coached Olympic level athletes is saying to you, man, we're just getting started. Like, give me a sense of like, at that moment, like, what are you feeling and what sort of feedback were you getting? Oh, I think totally what you were saying as far as, oh yeah, I know I can go faster. I know I can, if I can get, because he started coaching me in August and that marathon was in the beginning of October. So basically it was just two months of him coaching me and seeing that big of an improvement. Um, But so much of Doug's coaching is mental. He is such a great mind coach and he's so enthusiastic and just so excited. And um, so he's got the science as far as knowing what you should do, how fast you should do it, how often you should do it. But he also has that enthusiasm. Which is huge. And you would not pair well with somebody who didn't have that. Um, you know, we all have our styles of personalities and um people have joked around about us like being employed by Abbott for the majors and stuff because we're like the front (laughs) men and women, you know, the hype people, cheerleaders, hype people, you know, whatever ambassadors. It's all true though, but we don't get paid anything, man. I mean, we just love, we love to do it. Why? Because it's fun. It's a great cause. It unites people and a common goal. And um, to go after something as cool as a six star can change people's lives. So it's a really neat experience. It involves travel, something we both love. Um, But in terms of your own personality type and mine, interestingly, I love people who are positive and energetic like you and are focused on the good. But I've also had a lot of coaches in my own background in my own life who are just tough as nails, mean. Oh, same um, here. And, and I like, wither. I wither like a flower. Like yeah. <laughs> if somebody's tough on me, I just yep. I I can't handle it. I need the positive reinforcement for yeah. sure. And I just think like, and I didn't know that for sure, but I just know you. And I thought that that would be the case, but you can't assume that because you grew up in such a big family where you're literally fighting for food on the table and you've got to carry your own weight and it's competitive as hell. So like it could go either, it could be a total coin flip. Me, those tougher coaches, like the harder they were, the tougher they were, I was like, fuck, is that all you have? You think that you think I can't handle this shit? Like what else do you got for me? All right, let's go, man. You think somebody else on this team can do this more than I can? Like you think somebody should be batting lead off instead of me? I'd be like, no way. No one's going to outwork me. Nobody's taking my spot. But do I love somebody like that? Of course, man. I would love to be coached by somebody who's also like looking at the big picture for me And, you know, focusing on if you do this, Ron, we can get you back to qualifying for the World Age Group Champs again. Follow me. I'm going to get you there. It's like you pretty much could tell me to like run up the side of the building. (laughs) I'll try to do it, man. And I know I know you would as well. So super. So you had only had two months with him and you already chopped off a huge chunk of time. So where do we go? 313 on the podium in Brussels, right? Where do we go? as we start to evolve and things start to, to really shift for you? Well, so then, you know, we just started dreaming big. Why not? So it's, I, and I, I really think it's good to just set really, really hard to attain goals because then if you even just get halfway there, 
um, it's probably way further that you would have gotten had you just picked a safe goal. So we decided, you know what? I want to, I know I'm never going to make it to the Olympics, but I want to make it to the Olympic trials marathon. So I needed a 246 at the time. And, you know, I'd already jumped from basically four hour marathons to 330 to 313. So when you're shaving that much off so quickly, you think, oh, just a little bit more. Um, Not realizing that you get to a point and a minute is a huge difference. So um, anyway, I'd have to say the the next big marathon for me came um, about um, about a year and a half after that, two years after, and that was the Miami marathon. And that was when I, um, broke the three hour mark. So that was so much Sub three city. That was great. And that was, you know, he was there with me. Aww. He attended a lot of marathons with me. And, um, and so that was very exciting to be able to do that. So I'm getting closer. I'm getting closer to that 246. Um, so after the Miami marathon was Chicago marathon. So Miami was in end of January. Chicago was in September, um, or beginning of October. October. Mm -hmm. Yes. So I was in amazing shape. But about a month before Chicago, I get injured. You know, that fine balance of just giving it all you've got in your training and something snapping. So anyway, I don't get to train as hard as I want to for Chicago. I basically, you know, don't do anything for three weeks. And then the week before I did a 10K and a 6K and that was it. And then all of a sudden I'm running the Chicago marathon. Now the Chicago marathon, they do an amazing thing for um, semi-elite athletes. They have a great program. So I was um, in that program. And because that was a year that you had to qualify for the Olympic trials, they had a special group of, you know, of us who were trying to qualify for the Olympic trials and they had special pacers for us. They had a special meeting for us to talk about the pacing strategy. I was so excited. Um, so, and I'm just, sorry, I'm just talking, talking, talking. But um, anyway, so marathon morning comes. The night before I had a dream. I had a dream that I crossed over the finish line in 3.02. So I thought, oh, but that's not going to happen. No way, no way. I knew that 2.46 was really pushing it, especially having been injured really pushing it, but I was going to go for it. So my cousin, Doug is there. My husband, Rich is there. They hire bikes and they were going to be meeting me around from different points. And so I start with the group and Ron, I stuck with him and they decided they didn't stick with the plan. And they were going probably about, mm, probably about five seconds per mile faster than we were planning to. And that is, that's a difference. It is a difference. And already it was going to be hard, but I stuck with them. I stuck with them until about eight kilometers. And then I just, I, I couldn't do it anymore. I couldn't do it. So I get to 10 kilometers, which is the first point that I'm going to see Rich and Doug 
They said I looked like a ghost. They said I was white. And I was white. I mean, I had gone faster than I had ever gone before. And I still had another 32 kilometers to go. So, but I wasn't going to give up, you know, and they were there. They were cheering me on. So it was tough going really until the half. But then at the halfway mark, I said, I can still salvage this marathon and have a good result. So at about 30, 32K, I see Doug again. Um, and I had seen Rich and Doug a few points before, you know, between, and they were always cheering me on. But at 32K, Doug decides he's just going to jump on the course with his bike and ride next to me and cheer me on. And he does this. He does this for like eight kilometers off and on. And the, the course marshals are saying, um, sir, you have to get off the course. And he'd say, okay, but then we're gone and they don't see him. So Doug got me through up to, up to about 41 K just cheering me on being there for me. And, um, and then we got to 41 K and, you know, he went his separate way and I finished it on my own. And guess what the clock said as I went under the finish line? 302. 3.02. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. But but that that by far, I can assure you, just knowing how you just described that story, that it'd be the hardest 302 you ever ran in your life. Because oh, yeah. when you go out that hard and people if you think five seconds a mile isn't a big deal in a marathon, then you really haven't pushed it out over your skis hard in a race before because five seconds a mile is a freaking eternity when you're already shooting for something that's probably not even realistically in reach. I mean, so maybe, you know, yeah. maybe you had a 250 if everything broke right, maybe a 252. You know, probably, but a 250, if you had just like an A plus, everything went perfect day. But a 246 is like, that's just so much more when you'd run 257. But it's awesome, man. You just said, I'm going to fucking do this. I'm going to roll. It. It's, 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 it's the American Development Group, right? I mean, that's the group that you ran with because Chicago's been doing that for years and it's fantastic. I mean, you know, before CIM had become like the Olympic trials quality qualifying standard factory or whatever they're calling themselves these days because more women are running like an Olympic trials qualifying standard at CIM than anywhere these days because it's just- My it, friend just ran it. She, she did it. Great result just this past weekend. See? Yep. It, and it, she is an Olympic um, marathon, uh, qualifying marathon runner from the past. Yep. See? Mm -hmm. See? Well, we're going to have to get her on Run Chat. She's going to have to come come chat totally. with me for sure. Sharon. She's amazing. But, yep. but here's the deal. You know, you went out there, you went full out over the skis, and I don't care if you went 8K, 5K, whatever. You went out there, and that's a different energy. It's a whole different energy, man. These are full-fledged, badass, Olympic trials-level people that are running, and you're just like getting carried along. Then all of a sudden, it's like, oh, no, I, I can't do this, okay? Which is very good because, hey, you know what? They gave you the special spot. You get a special bib. You got all of these like unique opportunities that are there for you. You don't want to have to drop out of the race because unless you're like injured or broken. So, man, you could have just like 
pulled the reins in way sooner, but you got to have that experience, man. And you know what? Thank goodness he was there to roll with you towards the back end because, man, you really could have, that could have turned into a 330 in a blink of an eye. Um, totally. A blink of an eye. Totally. And when I say he was with me for those last AK, it's kind of an exaggeration. He would just pop in and out sure. from time to time. You know what yeah. I mean? Because, and I was telling him, I'm like, you gotta go. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) I'm going to get in trouble here. Yeah. But you know what? You're, you're not going to get in trouble in that regard because it's not like you were going to win the race or win prize money. Yeah. I mean, like there's the spirit of the rules and we're both incredibly fair and want to do it by the book and do it by the code. But yeah. Yeah. Nobody is saying he rode like the whole race with you. It was at the end and however long he was on and off. In in and out. Probably a total of 30 seconds. Yeah. If that. Yeah. But just at unexpected times when he would pop in there and be like, you've got this. Yeah. Was amazing. Yeah. Yeah. And and that's the power of what we can all do for each other. You know, when somebody's trying to do a virtual race or somebody's trying to qualify for Boston and they're stuck. Um, man, help somebody else out, man. You'll get back a hundredfold what you're putting in, man. When you see the smile on that person's face, when they get to live out their dream and you, because what you, if you showed up out there and you gave them a Morton bottle or, you know, a goo drink, you know, concoction or whatever the hell is their favorite drink or their gel, or maybe they're even eating a bar of some kind or, or, um, you know, there are the wa- the waffle wafer things that sometimes people eat. Sometimes people chew gummies. Like everybody's got different sensitivities with their stomachs and I have celiac. So you got to figure that piece out. But at the end of a race or in a tough spot in the race, if somebody gives you something that you like can thrive on, like if it's Coca-Cola in an ultra or in the last 10K of a marathon for me, if you give me Coca-Cola, man, I'm just, I'm going to come back to life. Even if it's just a couple of swigs and it comes out my nose, man, it's pure sugar, man. It's like, yes. Okay. I got some Coca-Cola in me or you got anybody got any gummy bears or, you know, chocolate, you know, whatever you got to figure out what that is for you. But the same effect comes from friends, people we care about that are out there shouting for you, screaming for you with a sign or jumping in and running a couple of miles. Um, that could make all the difference. And it could be the difference between you like hanging it up or saying, I'm, it's okay to slow down 30 seconds a mile. It's okay. Right. The world's going to keep spinning. It is. But, you know, if you keep going and you push through to the other side, you're going to have a better story to tell and you're going to feel better about yourself, man, because you hung in there, right? For sure. For sure. Yep. You know it. Cool. So we're, we're under sub three. You're making huge progress with your running. Um, where do you get to the point where you realize I'm probably not going to get any faster, but I can still have just as much fun and I'm still going to love the sport and I want to give back more, which I know we're both big believers in and sharing love and positive energy. Like, where do you get to that point with Doug and with your coaching where you realize, yeah, I'm probably not going to get any faster. Maybe I can, you know, or do you still feel like, Hey, I could still run faster. It's totally cool. If it's, if it's C, but let me know where where that occurs or if it hasn't even occurred yet. Yeah. Well, I um I did a sub three again um a few weeks after Chicago in Spain because I just needed to come back, you know? Yeah. It was my rainier again. I had to come back. So um, but then after that, I guess 
you know, I was trying to get faster, but I think it was just that fine balance and I would get injured. And so in the end, I think I just decided I wanted to be fast. I still love making a podium. I love being able to make the podium, but there's the, you have to stay healthy. And so by staying healthy, by staying, you know, my marathons, um, usually are in, you know, between 305 and 330, usually in the teens still. And, and that's great. I'm so happy with that. And, um, and I'm staying healthy and I'm having fun and I love it. I love running races again. I'm so glad races are open, but there's still that little voice inside of the back of my head that says, do I have another sub three in me? I'd love to do it. I would. And I would love to see you take another swing. Um, because if that voice is there, you can't tune it out. Um, and whether you can scale that mountain one more time again, it's not going to change your life. Um, but you have to take those swings. It's the part of you. It's who you are. It's who I am. Other people, um, they're going to go to sleep at night and they'll be like, oh, well, I'll do something else instead. Or, you know, it, everybody has a different style of personality and we are, we all handle goals differently and we all shoot for certain things. Certain people like to shoot for things that seem impossible. Other people shoot for the layups. Um, you know, it just depends on who you are and what, and what is going to be the most fulfilling for you in your life. Um, for you, you'll have to take another swing um, and you'll have to go after it with absolute reckless abandon with vigor. But of course, you know, based on what you're saying to me about some injuries and it doesn't matter what they are, it's irrelevant. Every runner ever that's going to push it out over the line or go after something really big is going to come across some injuries. Okay. So it's just part of the sport and there, it doesn't matter whether you're an Olympian or a non-Olympian. It doesn't matter whether you're an Olympic trials participant or you have a chance to line up to go get a bib for that. Like you had in Chicago, because they're setting it up for the men and women that day to have the chance to succeed with pace groups, with fluids, with on-course support systems to give the runners the best chance to run the fastest time that they can. And the more we see of that, the more people are going to succeed. Um, and, you know, in the end, if you're not strong enough when the Olympics come around, you're not going to win a medal. It's not, that's not that hard <laughs> to figure out, you know, like there aren't too many Kipchogis around or Molly Seidel's for that matter, right. or whoever your favorite runners are. And, you know, I know you're you, from the U.S., but, you know, you've lived abroad for probably almost as long as you've lived, you know, in the U.S. these years. So, um, you know, favorite runners, favorite approach, favorite styles, it doesn't matter. If from me, from where I'm sitting across from the Zoom screen, you got to take another big swing at it. You got to go after it. And the hard part for you, because I know how much we're attached to the Abbott majors and running those races, you know, to really go after it, you can't run four in a row or six in a row like we've both done. You're going to have to really, or you can, but you're going to have to make the first one if, if Berlin is the first one, and it will be this year because Tokyo's already gone. It's already erased, sadly. Um, so there goes my second six star for the third year in a row. It's gone. Um, but it's Boston. Um, and then we're going to go Berlin, London, Chicago, three weeks in a row. And then New York will be, I think, three weeks apart again. There's usually like three weeks between Chicago and New York because usually 
Um, Chicago's like the first week of October. So I'm pretty positive I have my dates right. I already put them into my calendar and my phone and my apps. Um, I love that you're going to do all six this year. Yeah. Well, I can't do all six because Tokyo's, Tokyo's gone. Um, it's, it's true. Yeah, it's yeah. 100% gone. And um, I, there really is no, there's no way to explore it. I mean, they're not going to allow runners that don't live in Japan to run the race. And I, it's not going to happen. And I was in through marathon tours and that's how I had my bid. And my fees are paid. My hotel's paid. All that stuff's paid. It doesn't matter. If they're not going to allow us in, you know, there isn't any other way. I'm not going to get some fake visa or try to do something. I'm not going to do anything stupid like that. I mean, if I'm not allowed to go there, I can't go there. I don't want to go someplace where I'm not welcome because I want to get another six-star medal. And to be honest, as time's gone on, I feel way more sad or sorry for my friends that have not had the chance to get their first yet. Um, and I think don't that know. I feel terrible for them because they're 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 crossing a line where some of them are just becoming bitter and they're just really getting angry about it. And I understand, like, if you're like me and you're 60 or older, like, you know, how long do you know for sure you're going to be healthy to do all this? And I know friends of mine who are still doing this that are in their 70s or even, you know, mid 70s. So, you know, there is that thing of you're thinking like, am I going to be healthy enough to do this? And, you know, who knows what's going to end up ultimately happening with Tokyo. But for me to you, you know, London's your backyard. London's your place to take your big swing. I mean, you could have the same way I could in New York. I could say, I need you to be at this mile marker with a Morton bottle for me. And I need to know that you're going to be on the Southeast corner. So I know the Southeast corner and you know the Southeast corner. You're not going to see me. I'm going to see you. You can track me on the phone, but you're not going to see me. I'm going to come around that corner and I'm going to be there. So just be there and please be where I'm asking you to be, but you could do that the same way in London with all the people you know, have them around at strategic places where, of course, you can just drink the Lucasade or whatever's on the course and water and use gels. But if you wanted to get your own fluids with your own mix, you could do that. To me, I, I think it's a no brainer unless you decide to go Berlin because you think Berlin's a little faster course. I mean, you know. You yeah, see, all these thoughts are going through my mind, Ron, because- as you know, I am running Berlin. Um, I was supposed to run it this year, but we just decided that we would defer it to next year. I'm running it with my husband. Um, so it's tough though, because if I'm running Berlin a week before London, no matter how slow I run Berlin, that's 42 kilometers on my feet. Correct. So maybe I do just go for it in Berlin. I think, you know, the same, you would trust... I would trust you if you were giving me advice that really mattered to me and, you know, talk to Doug about it. You got Berlin is your a race. This is no decision here. Look, you already ran awesome in the world age group championships. You already did that. You're going to qualify again. It's not like you're not going to qualify again. And look at me. I was coming off four months of not running. I wouldn't have missed my chance to run in the age group championships. I know. Isn't that the truth? You think it's I all about you think I wanted to run 350 and be like almost last in my age group? No, I didn't. But you know what? I was also not going to let my pride stop me from going over there to be part of this race when it was the first one. And you know what? I enjoyed it. I loved it. It wasn't easy because I wasn't in shape, in shape. But you know what? I finished it, man. And it just brought so much joy to my heart to, to, to get to meet you and so many other people who I hadn't met. And then see so many friends who I do know and hadn't seen since COVID had taken our world by storm. And then you have to go, you got to go all, all chips in Berlin. You go all in in Berlin yeah. and you just, 
London is your home. You'll be going back home. Who cares what you run in London? I know you, man. I We've run really close times a week apart. We've done this before. This isn't new. We're both experienced at it. Who cares? You go all in for a sub three in Berlin. And if you get it, it'll be amazing beyond belief. And if you run 302 or 303 or 305 or whatever you run, it'll still be, you'll know you took your swing. And Berlin, if they bring it back because they had it for three or four years in a row, anybody, you don't have to be sub elite. You don't have to be, you know, whatever that standard is in Chicago that that group is American. I forgot what the hell they call it, but I know they have a special name for the people yeah, that are the American development, American program. development program. That's what it's called. Mm-hmm. So, um, mm-hmm. in Berlin, anybody can put their own bottles on the table. They took it away last year because of COVID, but oh, I, I did it hundred percent. I did it myself. It's a, it's literally in the rules. It's been going on for years and I used Morton. I, I took, orange sharpies and i took my white morton bottles and i made them orange because orange is my color and then i put a little flags on the top of the bottle because you know your stuff's going to be on the table with any of the other runners who do that so it's not going to be like oh no problem and the last thing you want to do is like go through that table where those bottles are and like you know have to stop you don't want to lose any time if you can but the thing is If you, even if you don't hit all the tables where those bottles are, if you got most of them, you would be a hundred percent ahead of where you would be in a normal race. Cause that's your fuel mixed your way on those tables. And then, you know, if Rich is running with you, I don't know if you know anybody else who will be in Berlin that you could try to talk to and just say, Hey, cause Berlin is an open course. I mean, it's not even that crowded compared to the other majors. It's very fast. Yeah, I think you go, you go Berlin. Look, we'll have loads of time to plan it. We'll see who we can recruit to be out there with you and have some bottles for you. And, you know, look, we'll pay somebody off and just be like, here's your job for the day. You got to run around and have these bottles out there for my friends. And, you know, we'll put you on the podcast (laughs) if you help, if you help out, we'll see. But yeah, you you got to do it. So Berlin is your A race. You run London yeah, for the age championships. And then whatever, if you want to run Chicago and New York, that's cool. I'll be happy to see you at all of them. But you yeah, know, you, yeah. Yeah. So that's your plan. And, um, you know, basically the only other thing we really didn't talk about your running, which is super cool. I think there are only 45. I'm pretty sure because Abbott updated all their statistics, right? For how many yeah. new six-star finishers. I'm pretty positive there's only 45 of us that have ever done all six in one year. Only 45. Yeah. Is it 45 right. or 48? I'm pretty sure it's 45. It's in the 40s. Yeah. So I, it's it's whatever it is, it's pretty darn impressive, isn't it? Yeah, it's pretty yeah. cool. And what what year isn't it amazing? It is it is amazing. What year did you do all six of yours? 2018. So you were one year ahead of me. You're one year in front of me. So 2018, you did them all. And 28 year was the monsoon in Boston, um, hmm. which is bananas. And, and it was I, only race number two correct, out of all six. Correct. You know what I mean? It's correct. like, you can't quit at race two. Correct. And let me just tell you all a little fun fact for all the listeners at home. London was six days later. Okay. And it was like 80 degrees that year because I yes. ran Boston and London back to back. And I thought I was going to literally die out in the course. And I'm not making a joke because a young guy who was a sub three marathon runner did die in the course that year. And I think his dad had passed away from heart disease and his dad was a runner and he was like a chef. He was like a well-known chef. I think he might've even had his own television show. So, I mean, that is, you ran that year where you had six days between Boston and London and then London was like 80 degrees. 
So yes, yeah. And what was I your, loved it? Yeah, so because you I was still flying out. <laughs> you know, <laughs> yes. but so for Boston, I was so cold, Ron, that my teeth were shattering, and then it made my head shake. And it was like everything I could do to just keep my head steady. That's how cold I was. And I got to the end and they gave me my medal. And she said, I'm bringing you to this medical medical tent. tent. Team hypothermia. Medical tent. Yes. And they gave me this really nice, warm, cozy, heated blanket. And they took my temperature and they said that I should be in the hospital. I think it was... um, I want to say it was in the high 80s, my my internal body temperature. You, beat, you, got, me, you got me beat. I was 91. You're, you're way yeah, under me. I want to say I was like 89. And he said, um, because you're laughing with me, I'm letting you stay. And then it was the, the, the medical t- tent starts filling up. And um, I I hear somebody say, we need more blankets. Is there are there any free blankets? And I just kind of said, "Fine, they can have mine." Take mine. And I realized it was time to go. Yeah, oh. but then I think it was good because London. I was running with Rich, um, and I was running for charity, and it was part of the all six star races, all six major marathons in one year. So of course it was happening. It was game on. But um, it was great because I enjoyed it. I didn't try to go fast. I really had a great time. We really supported each other, my husband and I. And like you said, it was hot. And I saw, you know, at about the 30 kilometer mark, I saw a few women down on the ground, you know, just being assisted. And I thought, if this, if if I had not run Boston six days earlier, I probably would have been trying as hard as they did. And that would have been me on the ground. But it was great because in 80 degree weather to just be able to go a little bit slower, take it a little bit more easy, drink every time there's a Lucasade on the course. Um, it was a very pleasant experience. I didn't even notice the heat. Amazing. I mean, it was, I started off feeling like, oh my God. This is this is great. I feel great. My legs are great. The course is great. I'm a happy camper. And then I don't even think I made it past 10 miles. And I feel like somebody hit me with a baseball bat. I was already starting to get wobbly. I was already having problems like deciphering simple things. I wasn't like out on my feet already, but I was like, okay, yeah, you um besides the fact that you were team hypothermia, as we both were, you know, flying on a plane a couple of days between the races, you know, I, who knows what I was doing for hydration. Like I had no idea what the hell I was doing. <laughs> and I was just like, my brain- Knowing you, you celebrated a little bit. Oh, probably alcohol was involved, not on the course, Um, not on the course, but nights before, very common occurrence for me. Um, I've been known to lead the party brigade before these races. Uh, guilty as charged. But um, I distinctly remember, and I've made my mom laugh so many times, like the conversations that go on between your ears, and I know you have to have them, every runner does. It's just like, already my brain was going, oh, why don't you just go to the bathroom, go to the port of john I oh, want to walk for a little bit. All these things are, I'm like, who's talking to me? Like, who's there? Like, where are these voices coming from? I'm 10 
miles into a 26 mile race and I'm hearing things I've never heard, like not even in an ultra. And I'm like, you can stop. You don't need to finish. Don't worry. No one's going to care. I'm like, I'm like, it almost like somebody else was actually saying them. Like it wasn't like inside my brain. It was like an out, out, out of body experience conversation. And I distinctly had a friend, remember, I had a friend who lived on the course and he's a photographer. He's got a podcast. And he said to me, I'm going to be shooting. I'm going to be here, which I think it was like at 16 or 15, wherever it was. Then at some point, because that's where the brain will always go. Some people like us that are like, we'll hang on and just fight it out. I'm like, if I can make it to him, I'll actually stop. I'll stop and I'll let him take pictures and I'll hang out and I'll meet his kids because you want to meet his kids. And I'll just do what everyone else does in these races where they're like in the crowd. I'm like, that's what I'm going to do. So in my mind, I was like, if I can just get to there, I'll take the pictures and I'll actually just hang out with them for a while. And then maybe I'll just like walk the rest of it. So like I had totally like convinced myself that was what I was going to do. And then the craziest thing happens. I get there on the course and I was probably so far behind at the pace that I was running of what he expected. He wasn't there. So I'm like looking (gasps) around everywhere. I'm like, where's this dude? He's not here. I'm like, okay. And I'm like, all right. So I just kept going and, you know, slowly, slow as hell. But, you know, at some point, I realized just how amazing the London crowds are. And I needed them that day because I knew what New York crowds are like. I'm born and raised there. I knew what Boston was like because I've been running there since the 99th and the 100th. So I've seen what those crowds can do. And I've ripped it in Chicago and the crowds are there and they're close and they're, they'll you know yell for you and they'll fight for you. But I had no idea how much the London crowds could be like New York crowds. I didn't realize they that by me amazing. just pointing at these people going, hey man, yes. cheer for the old fucker. They're like, where's he? I go, it's me. Like, dude, you ain't old. You're killing it, man. Go, dude. And like, you know, they just started going bananas and I just like pointing at people and yelling at them going like, you know, what are you people doing? Let's go wake up. And I made so many friends that day and I would never have finished that race if I didn't start connecting with those people out there and realize that they could help me. And they did. And I got through there and I don't know, I think I went 319, 338. And I remember, but I remember thinking like, I suck. 338's horrible or 319's horrible in the perfect storm. And I'm like, I'm proud of those numbers today, man. I'm like proud of them. Finished them. Like both. My time started with a four, my London finish time that year. Okay. 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 And you're, and you're, I I really wasn't going for any faster. Yeah. But even if I was trying, I couldn't have run any faster. So you're, you're amazing, Rod. No. You are amazing. No. This is your show, girl. I'm not amazing. Okay. Yes, you you are. You are the one. So we have to go back now. So you make it through. And then you have Berlin, Chicago, New York. Now you're back three. Like you, now you got a nice break to recover after London. You have three more to go. Are you feeling like I got this? And like, how did the last three go for you to finish off this like epic year? Yeah, they went great. And I slowly got faster. I nice. believe that um, Berlin, I finished in 323. And then... Um, Chicago, I want to say was like 318. And then I think New York was 317. And, um, and I just, I had so much fun at every single one of them. It's not even that I had to really try hard. I think my body was just like used to running marathons at that point. And even though there was not much time to recover between them, 
um, they went great. And for the um, 2018 New York City, I was part of Team Ultra. So that was really fun that's to a be a part of that That's group. a party. Yeah, I've, it I've, is a party. Yeah. Yes. I've seen, I, I've seen what they do. And let me tell you something. That that's an awesome experience for you because I've seen they take over yeah. social, the way they promote the runners, the community. It's, it's just totally awesome, man. If I could, if Michelob had a gluten-free beer, I would be like, please put me on your team. Like I want in, but they don't have a gluten-free beer. They have a beer. gluten-free beer, I think. Okay. Do they if, if they do, then they must have just come out with it recently. Cause I'm not, I'm not okay. aware. And I am having celiac. Okay. I'm pretty aware of the yeah. stuff, but I just saw their yeah. last team that was in and I swear they were up in the Mandarin hotel, which is like right on the park. And they, that Michelob symbol, you know, like the symbol of the beer, they were taking photographs like out the window with the. I mean, it was party city. I was like, I want to, I want to roll with these yes. people, man. So you got to finish, yes. you got to finish Ron, it off with them. You. All right. You've got to get onto <laughs> team ultra for All right. sure. All right. Throw me in the mix kid. I'll, I'm happy to, I'm happy to join them. Even if I can't drink their beer, I could still hang out and party with them. Right, exactly. Well, you know, maybe they're seltzer. Yeah. Oh, that's right. They do. They do. No, absolutely not. Those are all. There um, you go. Those. um, There you go. All those like cider, seltzer drinks. Those are all gluten free. Yeah. Yeah. You could promote the seltzer line. There you go. Somebody's got to do it. I mean, really, you know, I don't want to be a commercial for Michelob Ultra, (laughs) but I will say that it is a great sports person's beer because it is. It's low in calories. It's lower in alcohol. And you can you can have a beer, you know, the night before race one, if it's something like that, or as a celebratory beer and not not inhibit your recovery. And Shalane Flanagan was the spokesperson um, at the time that I was on Team Ultra. And um, and she really believed in it as well. And and I just I it's great to represent and run for um, a company that you do believe in a product that you believe in. I think that's awesome. And a hundred percent, um, no question that, um, we have our brands that we align with and end up connecting with. And if it's something we really believe in, we're going to be so much more invested and, um, like world marathon majors. Yeah. Look at us. Look at us, man. We got our, we got our swag going. We we got our thing, thing rolling here. We'll, we'll talk to Tim and, and Lorna and ask them to push this thing out over their channels, man. I mean, if they they know what's up, they would, but love them. So the cool thing is you rally after London and you Mm -hmm. close out the back three stronger. Um, and I think that's one of the things people maybe miss sometimes is, um, cause I've even seen on the marathon training web pages that we're all on the world age group one, this one, the six star one, there's so many pages that we're all on and we're sharing training tips and podcasts and strength training and nutrition and all the different things that we share. And, you know, someone just wrote a thing like, could anyone run all six? And I don't think it's possible. And, you know, I'm just cracking up because we did it. And like, I was not even going to like go in there and write anything about it. But then I was like, you know what? I did do this. Why wouldn't I write about it? And I just think people always jump to conclusions or come to, 
you know, where they're landed or grounded without like the facts at all. And it's not for everybody. I would not recommend if I was coaching, which I'm not anymore, but if I was, I would not recommend people run all six in one year the way we did unless I knew something about their running style and their health and how strong they were and what kind of training they've been doing. Like, I know it you took can- serious you, training. Yeah. I mean, I, you know, I had, I had a physio that I met with quite often. I had a, a trainer at the gym that I worked with. I had to work on certain muscles around my knees to keep my knee, you know, to protect them. It was definitely, you know, a full-time job planning, planning the travel, oh, yeah. planning who was going to take care of the kids while I was traveling or which races the family would come to. Um, it is definitely, like you said, it's, it's, there's a reason why only 45 or 46 people have done it. It's not easy, but it's fun and it's great. Yeah. I mean, it's just so well said because the same thing for me, I was on the table with my massage therapist or sports chiropractor regularly, um, and foam roll like a crazy person. And I have my Norma tech boots and, and, um, although I don't have four kids, so it's a lot less on the management side and my son is grown and you have a job. launched. So, um, I yeah. do have a job and it's a serious mm -hmm. job. Like people think I'm mm -hmm. retired. I'm not retired. I got to pay for this crazy ass lifestyle, man, of flying all over and running these races, you know? Um, but I enjoy it. I enjoy it that much that I'm happy to, keep grinding on the work side so I can do this stuff and I can travel around and meet fun people like you and have the podcast and tell awesome people like your stories to inspire other people, man, because you know what? It Life is short. And if you want to get the most out of it and you want to have some adventures, um, running is a pretty damn great way to go. Um, right. And you'll get to meet some really, really fun people along the way. And we learn a lot about ourselves when we finish a year off and run six marathon majors in the same year. Um, and I know in your case, you probably did more. I did, an, I did CIM with a friend after that to help her qualify and get a BQ. And I also did a 50 mile race um, that year. And I did a bunch of halves, sub 130 halves. So um, you, that's not it. That's not all you're doing. You're running other races to kind of stay fit. Um, so for me, I want to figure out a way to kind of get back there because we lost all of our racing. Um, and now that it's kind of back, it's back, um, for the most part, um, we still have some hiccups here and we're still figuring out, you know, places like Tokyo, you know, are going to be stricter and have tighter rules and it's making it frustrating because it's now going to be, you know, literally three straight years in a row that no one's going to run a race there. And that's a shame um, because I just don't understand it, man. It's proven over and over again that this is not an outdoor spreading disease. It's just not, it's an indoor based thing. And it's, you know, when conventions are together and large groups of people are indoors and, you know, in small quarters, that's where you're going to get your most likely spread. And if people are, either vaccinated and or masked and or taking any other protective measures, you're going to be okay. If you're healthy and you have a good immune system, you're also going to be okay. Small fact, maybe people should pay attention to get in better shape, be healthier. You know, that will improve your chances of not getting COVID. It doesn't mean you're, you know, it's- Or your if you get it coming out of it in one piece. Correct. Yeah. Making mm -hmm. it, making it through to the other side. So- right. Man, we've covered a lot of ground. Fun stuff. <laughs> super, super, super fun stuff. Um, while we're on the pandemic, before we, you know, more or less roll out, I only have maybe like one or two more quick questions for you before we do. Um, I know you have your group, 
your fun group. Then I ended up meeting a bunch of them. Um, were you all like doing a lot of runs together just to kind of keep your sanity there, to keep your spirits up? You know, and I know you were doing a lot of the virtual stuff with Global Run Club and stuff. Were they like important to you and the day you guys were all helping each other kind of keep it together, you know, during that period? Yeah, they were great. Women Running the World, um, my my group, they were amazing. Um, we ran all through the city of London. We um, we had different theme runs. I did fastest known time uh, races with my friend Mickey. Um, the, the FKTs, they were a great way of, of doing virtual races as well. And um, yeah, it was it was really great. And I also had some great runs with my husband during the pandemic as well, running the empty streets of London. Fantastic. I mean, it was the same um, time I could run through Times Square. I mean, I, I've worked in Times Square like my whole life. My headquarters is there and you can't run through Times Square. I mean, you can't, this is not something you can do. I mean, I'm running straight down the street. I'm running right up 42nd Street. I'm running right through the heart of Times Square alone in the middle of the street, you know, with my camera and phone out. Um, I was raising, running marathons for healthcare workers and raising money to send them meals uh, during that period of time. And I just know if I didn't have that as a purpose of something to do, you know, I'd have probably like lost my mind. So um, yeah. it's great that you have your <laughs> your crew um, and it, give them a shout out. So it's, what is it? Women run the world. What's your, what's your crew? Women running the world. Women yes. running the world. Yeah. And who are, mm -hmm. and who are, your, and who are, and who are your peeps in the group? Oh, there's too many. Too many. I would just like if I was gonna just Marissa, Regina, Rebecca, Francesca, Stephanie, um, Sharon, and um, Charlotte, and um, um, I, I don't don't know if I've left anybody out. Mickey. Of course, Karen. Did you, did you get Mickey? Um, did I say Mickey? And then there's another Mickey, oh. and then there. Oh yes, and then there's um, there's Tamar, and there's there literally so many amazing women, and I know I've left out some very important names. It's okay. You know what? It's just cool for all the ones that you did get, and the ones that you missed. Hopefully, not one of them will be slighted because you know what? It's it's cool <laughs> to give them a shout out, um, and the group, the power of that group, you know, to be able to kind of keep things together when we're all in a really horrible spot. Um, to be able to keep that going and to focus on FKTs. I know Mickey just finished off one because I saw her post the other day. Yeah, just the other day. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So like that's what kind of kept us moving and kept us going forward. So kudos um, for everything that you're doing there that you were all part of because it's collectively running community stuff that has the most power. Um, and the last thing before we always roll out, um, I know community service is important to both of us. Um, and I know that um, you've taken on a lot of different things, not only like that with that particular group, but what's something you've done in the community service side that's important to you, where you were doing something where you were giving back of yourself within the community and like, how do you think it helped? Well, I really enjoyed being a coach um, for soccer and basketball for my kids in the community sports group, the Brussels Sports Association when we lived there. Um, I ended up being a director of the basketball program, really enjoyed that. And then currently I am putting together a um, coaching program, a fitness program for the coaches, um, Game Changers for um, uh, an amazing group in India that are, they're, they're basically putting together a soccer program for 
thousands and thousands and thousands of young girls in India and just bringing sports to these to these girls um, who who need it. That's beautiful. Um, giving giving back will always uh, it always we're paying it forward, but it always I always tell people it gives us back so much more than what we put in you know, on whatever end, um, whatever end of our responsibilities, our time, our commitments, whatever we're putting in, we'll always get so much more back. So kudos on that. That's great work. Um, it's Thank awesome. You. And the last thing we didn't really get to is um, you kind of have this very indomitable spirit. Um, you know, you're, I don't want to say unbreakable, but you're going to keep moving forward. You're going to keep going towards the goal, towards the target. Um, there's real strength there. Um, and that, uh, that drive, the energy spirit, like, where do you think it comes from? And, um, you know, how do you, how do you think it became such an important part of your life? I think it's just survival, you know, just having, first of all, survive a family of seven, then survive law school, then survive, you know, just being a prosecutor, being in the courtroom then survive being a mother and, you know, just it's, survival getting through day by day and just you know it, it then it it kind of um it uh goes on to the to the road races and to everything we do in life yeah absolutely um i'm sure being a mom of four yourself after being part of a family of seven you know it never ends uh the responsibilities the demands mom i need this mom i need that i know um who the center of my family is which is why i run to honor my mom. So yeah, that, um, that commitment and that drive and that ambition, you know, in your own life. And then, you know, having to be tough, having to be feisty, having to be strong, like it's obviously carried through for you. So much of it, I think was learned by, you know, your dad's own work ethic, all of that other stuff. But, you know, it's, um, it's awesome to see it manifest itself into your running and lead you to being so accomplished. And, um, you know, being such a key contributor to the community, because I think, you know, not only do you have talent and you're exceptional and all that on like podium levels, age group rankings, all that kind of stuff, but, um, your energy and love for the sport comes through, um, to everybody who meets you. So I think it's a super admirable quality and, uh, keep it up, man. It's awesome. Thank you, Ron. Likewise. Wow. Thank you, my friend. And I appreciate you so much coming on and sharing your inspiring story. It's totally awesome. And it's going to be a good long run company for anybody who's starting to get ready to train for Boston in April, because it's going to be right around the corner, people. It's going to be time to get out there and run in the winter months and the cold months. You're going to need some company. So this is going to be a story for you to have, to listen to, to fire you up and get you motivated. So I appreciate you so much sharing all of it. It's great stuff, and I have no doubt it's going to inspire lots of people. So what do we say at the end of every show, people? Keep lacing them up, keep getting out the door, and always remember to stay in the fight. Wow, what an inspo Kelly is. What an honor it is for me to host these conversations and have the time to take a deep dive and learn more about people like Kelly how the hell does she juggle it all? A mom of four, all that traveling, all that racing, staying so competitive, high atop the world age group rankings, still cranking out crazy fast times, 
and managing to always put her family first. So impressed, in awe, and she's just one of my favorite people. Her energy is so positive and she's so genuine and she's involved in so much in the community. You can't list all this stuff on Instagram and Facebook. There just isn't enough room in the write-ups. So I trust you all that you'll hang in there for these longer conversations and glean the valuable information that's there because there's just so much inspo out there that comes across in a story like Kelly's. So I'm so thankful for her for taking the time and sharing all of her journey with the Run Chats audience. So as we say at the end of every episode, if you're enjoying it, you find things that you really connect with that resonate, please share as you've all been doing on Instagram, on Facebook, on Strava, on any platform, anywhere. Hey, don't ever forget about word of mouth. Just let somebody know you caught this episode and it really, it really got you moving, it got you going, and it made you think about some things. And that will bring more people to our channel, to our platform. It'll get more people listening to what we're talking about here on Run Chats. And most importantly, it's going to help me get more awesome guests like Kelly to come on the show and share their inspo with the Run Chats audience. So uh, thank you all for continuing to do that. And I just want to say to everybody to have a wonderful holiday. Um, Celebrate with your family. Enjoy the time. And make big goals. It's that time of the year to get excited about next year. What's on the calendar? We're going to get through this thing. So stay focused, keep training, keep lacing them up, keep getting out the door, and always remember to stay in the fight, my friends. Peace out. Sending love to everybody. God bless.